Hey folks, uh, Joe Morris with Answers Heaven Speaks. And we got somebody coming Hi. in. Hi. Oh, there's Marissa. Um, we're doing a very unusual, we don't normally do a Saturday show. There she is. Are we both wearing black? I think so, yeah. I think we so didn't even try. We're matching. Yeah, yeah. that's the first I've seen you today. I know. Oh, jeez. I came back in time for the show. Good, good. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, we're going to go over, we're going to kind of follow up on what we did yesterday. Um, where we went over the uh, bestowals, the seven bestowals of uh, of Michael. And then we're going to kind of get into the pre-bestowal, um, basically the instructions he's going to get from his universe handlers uh, on what he's supposed to do when he becomes a babe of the realm. So um, what I'd like to do is kind of back up a little bit and go over those seven bestowals because... I can't really remember them all. I, I remember I remember the first one. The first one, he became a Melchizedek. That was the highest order. And that was exactly one billion, that's with a B, billion years ago. Our creator of our universe, Michael, became, an or, became a member of the order of the Melchizedeks. And so, uh, don't know exactly what he did. But that's a very, very high order. And if you remember uh, from the Bible in, um, in Genesis, when, um, I think it was in Genesis. I'm pretty sure it's in Genesis. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'll have to double check, but Abraham. Abraham was known as Abram, and he was in his tent. He was a rich guy. Uh, he had lots of cattle, he had lots of workers and lots of things. And um, he was worshiping, he was actually in Mesopotamia. And he was worshiping many, many gods until a Melchizedek. And you can go to the book of Hebrews to find out a lot about the uh, the Melchizedeks. And that's, a Paul, that's one of Paul's books. Uh, but early on in, uh, I think it's uh, Genesis, uh, Abram is confronted by Melchizedek. And Melchizedek talked him into worshiping a one and only God, just one God, not like everybody else. Everybody else was worshiping lots and lots of different gods. And so his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, and that was due to a Melchizedek. Now think about that. Our creator of our universe became a member of the Melchizedek order a billion years ago. And yet Abraham was, what, maybe 3,500 years ago? It was before the time of Moses. Moses was about 3,500, so maybe about 4,000 years ago. So think of all that time between a billion years all the way up to just 4,000 years ago. Are you sure it was only 4,000 years ago? I just heard 200,000 years ago. What, for um, Abraham? For Abraham? I wonder if they, like, just um, block it off and, like, you know, every thousand, every thousand years is really, like, 50,000 or something like that. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to verify that. I'm not sure. Um, but biblically, if you go, if you go by the the time frames of the Bible, um, then they're saying that you know Adam and Eve were here six thousand years ago. So, uh, but the Arantia book actually has them being here like hundred and fifty thousand years ago. And I was kind of toying with what should we talk about? Should we talk about Adam and Eve today? Um, should I talk about the midwayers? Who are the midwayers? Because I could do that. I mean, I could do all of that. I had, uh, let me take a look here. I had, uh, let's see, paper, uh, one that uh, um, Marissa's mom 
was would like was um, paper 94 and that was the Melchizedek teachings in the Orient. So that kind of leads us kind of to where, where Buddhism came into the picture. So uh, I was thinking about that one. Um, we went over the seven bestowals. That's paper 119. Paper 120 It's kind of what I kind of wanted to get into, but I also had uh, paper 77, which is the midway creatures, because the midway creatures are the ones we're actually channeling. That's who whoever the channeler is, and we assume that's Edgar Casey. Um, was channeling something, and he was channeling the midway creatures. So I thought it might be interesting to figure out who the midway creatures are. Um, we're not going to go into the, the continuing story of Jesus when he was down here, because uh, we've gotten up to the Perea mission, but we're going to pick that up on uh, on Monday. And then the other one was paper 74, Adam and Eve. So I'm not sure which one to do. <laughs> Should I do Adam and Eve? I think... Problem is, if I do Adam and Eve, it goes into discussing all the evolutionary races that came before them. Uh, because um, uh, in the Arantia book, it goes back and it describes how how humans were formed on this earth, uh, starting about a million years ago, and um, it all started from a um, I want to say muskrat. It wasn't a muskrat. It was a uh, Ah, I forget, I forget. It was some kind of a mammal, some kind of a mammal. And then that mammal suddenly changed to something. And then that mammal that, that had suddenly changed, suddenly changed to something else. And each one became a different race, a different race, a different race. And until you get to the Dalmatian races and the Sangic races. and So it's kind of confusing. So if I talk about Adam and Eve without doing the history before it, it's not real understandable. But technically, Adam and Eve came about 150,000 years ago, and they were called material sons. Uh, material sons and daughters are, they work on, on capitals, uh, capital planets of, of entire systems. And they work as scientists and things like that. And they, they create things, beings and animals and plants and things like that. And then they transport all that stuff down onto evolutionary planets. So that's what they did on Earth. They they create all this stuff up there in the ethers, and then they bring it down down here. It even said, let me, they were in a seraphic transport. Let me let me see if I can get to that without getting too confusing. And then we'll get in into the pre-bestowal uh, instructions uh, to Jesus. Uh, so he had seven bestowals, but let me. Uh, let me get into this. I, I want to see this on... on uh, and thus did Adam and Eve leave Jerusalem amidst the acclaim and well-wishing of its citizens. They went forth to their new responsibilities, adequately equipped and fully instructed concerning... So they traveled together. Adam and Eve came together. Instructed concerning every duty and danger to be encountered on Urantia. The arrival of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell asleep on Jerusalem. That's some... Uh, capital planet somewhere up there in the ethers. So they fell asleep on Jerusalem, and when they awakened in the Father's temple on Urantia, in the presence of the mighty throng assembled to welcome them, they were face to face with two beings of whom they had heard much, Van and his faithful associate, Amadon. 
these two heroes of the, oh, oh, what happened here? These two heroes of the Caligastia secession. Now, remember, we talked about yesterday, we talked about Caligastia, who was the uh, planetary prince, and then he kind of fell uh, with Lucifer. But that, this isn't what I wanted to talk. I wanted to mention how they landed. Uh, let me see if I can get back up to it. Labs, consciousness, mm. these children accompanied, oh, yeah, they had like a hundred kids up there somewhere, a uh, hundred females and a hundred males. Uh, when they were at uh, departure, oh gosh, I wish I remember where I saw this, but they're in a transport and they land softly. Where was that? Oh, I'm sorry. Adam and Eve had remained loyal to Michael during the Lucifer Rebellion. Nevertheless, the pair were called before the system sovereign and his entire cabinet. Somebody's phone is in here. For examination and instruction, the details of Urantia affairs were fully presented and they were exhaustively instructed as to the plans to be pursued in accepting their responsibilities of rulership on such a strife-torn world. Talking about Earth. I don't know. I must be Marissa's phone. Yeah, this is Marissa's phone. Ding, ding, ding. I don't know how to turn it off. Turn it off. Sorry, folks. I don't... Marissa! Oh, there. Yeah, come on in. This oh. thing was just going ding, 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 ding. I was trying to find so I could listen to you. Ding, 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 ding. Matthew's on the loose on a bike and Mom's oh. chasing me. Oh, okay. But I want right. to listen to you from out there. I'm trying to multitask. Okay, they were duly advised to regard. I'm just a little tiny bit on Adam and Eve. Ooh, see, that's what I've always wanted to do is the Adam and Eve stuff. Well, I can do I can do Adam and Eve. I was going to do the pre-bestowal orders of we Jesus. Adam but... and Eve um, tomorrow. Just do whatever you planned on doing today because um, obviously Jesus probably put that in your head. Uh, let me do Adam and Eve. I've already explained that I'm going to be mentioning a bunch of stuff that we don't really understand uh, because it's further back, further towards the beginning of the Arantia book. Um, but no, let's go over it. Let's fully focus. Well, that's fine. I don't need to focus because I'm not me. I'm channeling, so it doesn't really matter if I do or not. Well, then let me let me do Adam and Eve uh, based on the Arantia book. Okay. Wasn't okay. that Andon and Fanta or something like that? Yeah, Andon and Fanta that's get so involved in there. Super, super interesting. Uh, and fo you folks out there won't know who Andon and Fanta are, but maybe they they are the evolutionary races they they started from i'd say a muskrat it's not a muskrat it's something else uh, but suddenly 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 uh, there was a progression of evolution on the earth until they got to just below human and that was going to be adam and eve and adam and eve then mixed uh with i believe the andon and fanta races and there was this van and and lot and a um, bunch of other stuff. Well, Adam and Eve were, are not Andon Fanta? I thought they were Andon Fanta. Okay, Andon Fanta were the beginning of the human people, right? Uh, yeah. And then, oh, okay. Interesting. So let's just do paper. We'll do paper 74, which is Adam and Eve. Oh, so exciting. Okay, I'm listening. I'm going to put my headphones on. I'm, I'm out here in the garage. Okay. Okay, I'm looking at Okay. You got it on? Can you hear it? So, okay, this is uh, paper one, paper 74. Now we're on paper 164 on the um, on the life of Jesus. 
continuing life of Jesus. We've gone through, I think, everything. I think we started around paper 121. So we've we've gone through, what, 40, 42, 43 uh, different pages so far. So that's taken a little bit of time. Again, Joe Morris, Answers Heaven Speaks. My daughter, Marissa Morris, is a clear channel clairvoyant. We've written many, many books uh, based on having channeled sessions and then transcribing those and, and then putting to, them together in a book form. And you can find those over at uh, discoverintuition.com. And, uh, but this is going to be interesting because we've always kind of wanted to do a session on Adam and Eve, but we, we really have not. So this will be kind of fun. This, is, this will be new to both Marissa and I as well. Uh, going through the Urantia account of who Adam and Eve are. So Adam and Eve arrived on Urantia Earth from the year A.D. 1934. This is when it was channeled. <coughs> 1934. 37,848 years ago. So Adam and Eve came to the Earth 37,848 years ago. The Bible says 6,000 years. It was in mid-season when the garden was in the height of bloom. They're talking about the Garden of Eden. You guys want to say something real quick? Go ahead. They, um, you want to stay in here while I'm doing it so you can channel yeah, while I'm doing it? Mama will have my head because she wants me to have to do the garage. Well, thing. this will only be an hour. I know. But, okay, so they, um, no, they, uh, they're saying that everyone needs to be particularly excited about this because if we're all one, technically we are Michael, right? Yeah. So if they're like all, oh, this is boring, it's just about Christ, it's like, no, this is about your soul that came to this planet and decided to create a reality that you would then break yourself up into a bajillion different pieces, mix with spirit, and become all the beings that you created. And you just so happen to identify with one of the humans at this time, but have the ability to identify with the Christ, because the planet's gotten to that point of 5D, um, that you could actually technically, if we were people were clear enough channels they could go into the Christ they could remember all this stuff and they could remember creating Adam and Eve and they could remember everything that Adam and Eve did and these other beings that they're talking about so they're saying that that remember they've always said that our souls were 38,000 years old and you just said 37,500 yeah 37,000 37,848 years so ago they, from 1934 so it's really now 37,000 so it's nine nine hundred and twenty eight years later. Yeah, we're just short, just short yeah. of thirty eight thousand. Yeah. So they always said that our souls are thirty eight, and I I couldn't have known. We're that about one like, lifetime short of of thirty eight thousand years. Yeah, and technically, um, so yeah, so technically, this is our soul, how it came to Earth, and how it began to distribute throughout all of the species and all the peace, people and all the races, and and. What I'll find interesting is how and why we choose one particular human over, well, oh, no, they're saying our souls, oh, each soul can can identify and embody up to 144,000 humans. That's a special number yeah, because uh, 12 is 12 times 12,000, the 12 tribes, 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of the Jews. Okay. Are come to the 144,000. And apparently after the end of the book of Revelation, when Christ comes, there's only going to be 144,000 humans left on earth. Because it'll just be his soul. Whatever. I'm not sure. The whole earth will start back up again under Christ. 
with only 144,000 people. Because what it will be, it'll, it'll be 144,000 higher selves. That there's higher selves that have life They will life. be the survivors of all the conflagration that takes place during we the will four be, So horses. we'll all be pulled up into our heavenly bodies, basically, and we'll be higher selves living on a physical planet, is what they're saying. Um, right now, our higher selves are kind of in ethers watching us be physical, whereas if they begin to embody us, then all of our lifetimes that we've ever had start to pull into that our same body. We start to remember, we start to remember, we start to remember, and then... Our brain goes from 8% to 10% to 12% to 20% to 30% to 40%. And we start to be able to use more of our brain as our higher self embodies our physical body. And so when the 144,000 come, it's not going to be that a whole bunch of people are wiped out and killed. It's that we are like pulling into our higher self and like say, like what if we have the same higher self? We'll become like the same person or something like that. You know, like it's like people will become the same person and they'll go, oh yeah, I remember when I was that whole family of Morrises or, you know, whatever. It's like we become a, a group collective. But they're saying that's not for some time because human beings are way too far away from embodying all their higher self. Well, if we are in the book of Revelation at this point, um, the white horse came in the summer of 2015. It's and each years, No, each year, each horse is seven years, according to book of Revelation. So technically, if we are going to continue in the book of Revelation right now, um, Christ comes in the year 2043. That would be 28 years after the beginning of the white horse. But we're hoping that the white horse is going to wipe out the red horse so that we don't go through the book of Revelation right now. And right now we're in the red horse and it's a mess. It's only going to get messier in 2023. That's all I can say. What year did I used to see? I used to see 2365 or something is when the, the reality here ended or something. That's like 300 something years. I don't know. Yesterday you said that the UFO people up there are from about 300 years in the future. Oh. And they're watching us right now. They're watching. Maybe they're trying to change history. They are. So that, uh, we, don't so that we don't blow ourselves up. Because I see like the Twin Tower things again, but I see like, it, like mass destruction. But that's if people continue to fight over who God is and fight over who, like, couple into little boxes. They need everybody to stop becoming like these coupled little boxed in Well, people. our... Our stupid government puts us into boxes. They roll us backwards. Yeah, they're 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 devolving us. Yeah, 100%. into the, all these little boxes so that we can so fight all the boxes of fight. Don't be a white person, Mexican or Indian or whatever. Just don't be anything. Just be a human being. A soul. Be a soul yeah. and treat everybody else as a soul. It doesn't matter what they look like. It's just a matter that we're all souls, so yeah. we should respect somebody else's soul. Exactly. Even if they're nerds or morons, yeah. we've got to even do that. Okay, let's get into the I'm, story of Adam and Eve. I'm going to be listening from right out here. Okay. I'll jump in if there's anything. Otherwise, I'm probably just going to let you read it and I'll jump in at the end. Come in whenever you want okay. to. All right. So Adam and Eve arrived on Earth, Urantia, from the year AD 1934, 37,848 years ago. And it was in mid-season when the garden was in the height of bloom, Garden of Eden, that they arrived. And that's where the Tigris and the Euphrates come together in Mesopotamia, which is in Iran of today. At high noon, at high noon, I get it right down to the hour. At high noon and unannounced, the two seraphic transports. Those are, seraphic is angel. So the two seraphic transports accompanied by the Jerusalem personnel, so there's people coming from somewhere with Adam and Eve, accompanied by the Jerusalem personnel entrusted with 
the transportation, the transportation of the biologic uplifters, that would be Adam and Eve, to Urantia, settled slowly to the surface of the revolving planet in the vicinity of the temple of the universal father. So they're in a seraphic transport that slowly sat down. So UFO, a ship, I don't know. Kind of sounds like it. So they ended, ended up landing right over by the temple of the universal father. All the work of rematerializing the bodies of Adam and Eve. So now they had to rematerialize them. So they were, geez, what's, did I, did I miss something here? No, because I think they, they dematerialize. Yeah, okay. And then they rematerialize. Sounds like Star Wars or it sounds like Star Trek. All the work of rematerializing the bodies of Adam and Eve was carried on within the precincts of this newly created shrine. So they were rematerialized. They were dematerialized. They were in a seraphic transport. And then they were rematerialized around the shrine given to the Eternal Father by those races that, that were there. And I think that's the Andon and Fanta uh, Sangic races. And from the time of their arrival, 10 days passed before they were recreated in dual human form for presentation as the new, as the world's new rulers. They came down as the world's new rulers. They regained consciousness simultaneously, Adam and Eve. The material sons and daughters always serve together. So that's what they are. They're a material son and daughter. And I think material sons and daughters are sort of like scientists, but I don't know if they're rulers of anything, but maybe they are. They always serve together. The material sons and daughters always serve together. It is the essence of their service at all times and in all places, never to be separated. They are designed to work in pairs. Seldom do they function alone. So Adam and Eve on Jerusalem. That's before they come down to Urantia. Jerusalem is, well, let's see if we can figure out what Jerusalem is. The planetary Adam and Eve of Urantia, of Earth, were members of the senior core of material sons on Jerusalem, being jointly number 14,311. 14,311. They belonged to the third physical series and were a little more than eight feet tall in height. So they were eight feet, Adam and Eve. At the time, Adam was chosen to come to Urantia. He was employed with his mate, that would be Eve, in the trial and testing physical laboratories of Jerusalem. So they were working, they were working, they were just like you and I, we're up there working as scientists. For more than 15,000 years, they had been directors of the division of experimental energy as applied to the modification of living, as to the modification of living forms. So they're working for 15,000 years, they're working on experimental energy as applies to the modification of living forms. Long before this, they had been teachers in the citizenship schools for new arrivals on Jerusalem. I have to ask Marissa where Jerusalem is. It's in the book, it's in the Arantia book. They, they explain it, but maybe Marissa will know. And all this should be borne in mind in connection with the narration of their subsequent 
conduct on Urantia, on Earth. When the proclamation was issued calling for volunteers for the mission of Adamic Adventure on Urantia, on Earth, the entire senior corps of material sons and daughters volunteered. Everyone volunteered. The Melchizedek examiners, with the approval of Lanaforge and the Most Highs of Edentia, I'm going to guess that Lanaforge would have been a Lanonendek son. Remember, the second bestowal of Jesus was as a Lanonendek. First was Melchizedek, second was Lanonendek, which means he was a ruler over a whole constellation. whole constellation was under his rulership. And so this one is called Lanaforge. And he is, uh, I'm going to guess, uh, he's uh, among the Most Highs and a Lanadoc son. So, with the approval of Lanaforge and the Most Highs of Edentia, finally selected the Adam and Eve who subsequently came to function as the biologic uplifters of Earth. Adam and Eve had remained loyal to Michael, our creator. Adam and Eve had remained loyal to Michael during the Lucifer Rebellion. So, Lucifer Rebellion actually occurred before the arrival of Adam and Eve. Nevertheless, the pair were called before the system sovereign and his entire cabinet for examination and instruction. So maybe Lanaforge is a he's the sovereign of an entire system. We don't know how big a system is and how many constellations or galaxies are within a system. But anyway, they're being they're being evaluated. They're these two chosen. Uh, material son and daughter that don't have names yet, but they're going to become Adams and Eves because on every planet, I guess there's going to be an Adam and Eve at some point in time in its development. Okay, the sovereign and his entire cabinet for examination and instruction. The details of Urantia affairs were fully presented. They were exhaustively instructed as to the plans to be pursued in accepting the responsibilities of rulership on such a strife-torn world. So it was already a strife-torn world when they decided, when God or Michael chose them to come down. They were put under joint oaths of allegiance to the Most Highs of Adentia and to Michael on Salvington. Salvington must be the capital place in our entire universe. I mean, that's the only way I can assume that Michael's at his capital. So, uh, anyway, crazy hat. So, where was I? So, they're having to pledge allegiance to the Most Highs of Adentia and to Michael of Salvington. And they were duly advised to regard themselves as subject to the Urantia Corps of Melchizedek receivers. So, I guess Melchizedek receivers are, are on the earth at this time and maybe overseeing what's going on, it's really hard to say. Until that governing body should see fit to relinquish rule of the world of their assignment. So the Melchizedek's, Melchizedek's were in charge of the world. Um, and then Adam and Eve are coming in to uplift the world. And then they take over for the Melchizedek's. So this Jerusalem pair left behind them on the capital of Satania. Remember we talked about Satania. So I guess Jerusalem is the cap capital of Satania. Satania is a system 
that incorporates 36 inhabited planets. 36 inhabited planets. And basically, Lucifer is in charge of all 36 of those planets in Satania. Uh, guess where we got the word Satan? So our entire system was probably corrupted by Lucifer. So there's 36 other planets that are, in a way, like Earth, corrupted. So they left behind them on the capital of Satania and elsewhere, 100 offspring. They had 100 kids, 50 sons and 50 daughters from up there where they started. And they're called magnificent creatures who had escaped the pitfalls of progression and who are all in commission as faithful stewards of universe trust at the time of their parents' departure for Urantia. And they were all present in the beautiful temple of the material sun's attendant upon the farewell exercises associated with the last ceremonies of the bestowal acceptance. These children accompanied their parents to the dematerialization headquarters. So Adam and Eve went, I don't, I don't know what form they are. I guess they're like human form and they're about eight feet tall. They are eight feet tall and they're dematerialized. And their sons and daughters followed them to the dematerialization headquarters of their order and were the last to bid them farewell and divine speed as they fell asleep in the personality lapse of consciousness, which precedes the preparation for seraphic transport. Now we think of angels because one of those uh, bestowals of, of uh, Christ Michael was a seraphim. He had to be a seraphim as well. So he was a Melchizedek, he was a Lenondek, he was a seraphim. Uh, one, he went, he would, he became like, not one of the ancients of days, but he was he was among that group, that group of ancients of days, way up there in Havona. And that was uh, four, that's four of the seven. Uh, we, the one I don't, I, I can't remember, I, because two more, one, he's gonna be an, an in, inbred spirit, uh, which they call a Marantia self, and then a human. So that's added up to six, and I can't remember which, which one was the seventh. But he was, he was, uh, he incarnated and he had to incarnate in seven orders of his creation on, uh, in this universe. I mean, he, Michael was the creator of this universe. And then his last incarnation was to be a silly little human being, the lowest order, the lowest order. The highest order. Well, they called it the lowest order, if, but if now it's, either. now it's the highest order because because Michael came down and became a human being and that, that raised up the human race in the eyes of all the universe uh, creatures. They're saying the sons and daughters, the sons and daughters are templates. Templates? They're template selves and um, they come down to, to bring um, perfect DNA into a, a species or a race of beings. The dematerialization place is 7D in the seventh dimension and where um, Christ creates everything for us in the ninth dimension. Um, so the so the uh, so what they're saying is is that um, that there's beings that live on the seven D. We all have we all have ourselves that lives in the seventh dimension. But the reason why it's such a big deal that we're down here is because when we're in the seventh dimension, we de dematerialize and we go to sleep. So we're not going to wake up unless we come back. 
So it's like we're dead in the soul plane when we come down here or asleep. So they're saying, so that's why Satan and Lucifer, are all, they're all fighting for our light. They're all fighting for us because we we're clueless down here. Um, so when we come down here and we come into the fifth dimension, we go into the soul plane and we start creating our human life and all that stuff. Um, we get lost down in the third dimension when we fall into fear. Is the soul plane the fourth dimension or the fifth dimension? Soul plane is the fifth dimension. Fifth dimension. Fourth dimension is sort of like a a halfway house. The material realm is what they're calling the fourth dimension. I've never heard of them. It's, call it that's that. where you go to meet whoever you're channeling. When I'm channeling, I, they say I go up to the seventh dimension. Oh. And that's why I don't remember anything because I can't vibrate at that high. But when I do healing, I'm usually in the fifth dimension and I can see all the beings and stuff like that. But they're saying that my consciousness goes up to 7D and wakes my soul up and that's how it knows stuff. But. I never remember it. I don't even remember saying this, but then the creator sons and daughters, or those sons and material sons and daughters, uh -huh. they come from the eighth dimension Whoa. as like a template. So, so they're created so that they can be sent directly down into this reality as like um, not perfect beings, but like say they want um, uh, Earth's beings that are all like a bunch of primates to be more compassionate. They'll send down very compassionate beings to come and breed with the people on the planet and that's what those sons and daughters are that you're talking about they rarely um operate separate from each other yeah adam and eve they they're they're materi oh, material son and daughter and, and they work in pairs and, they never and that's separate. the material realm so they go from instead like we go from the seventh dimension well they're just the saying that they're dematerialized yeah but they go for the, transport they go from the eighth down to the fourth and so oh. going from the seventh to the fifth, we go from the seventh. So to it the fifth. isn't just a physical transport they go through; they actually go through a dimensional transport. Yeah, yeah. And they have to do that with these seraphic, uh, with a seraphim. The seraphim are the seventh dimension. Oh, so they have to go in with the ser with the seraphic transport devices or whatever. Yeah, it says uh, the preparation of seraphic transport. Uh, they're dematerialized. They don't have seventh-dimensional selves, is what I'm is what I'm hearing. So that's probably why they have to use the seraphic things, because seraphics are the seventh-dimensional. So they their consciousness exists like basically on the eighth dimension, which is right before Christ consciousness, and that and Christ consciousness exists on the ninth. We as Christ beings go from the ninth down to the seventh down to the fifth. They are created by Christ as these whatever beings, and then they're just sent directly into the material realm, which is the fourth dimension, which is where all of our emotions and feelings are. And that's how they come to, to create these emotionally compassionate beings rather than just these like animalistic-like beings. So they came down to, to bring love and compassion and all that and trust and, and humility, and then they got tricked. Who's they? Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve, yeah. Okay, Adam and Eve. But they didn't know any different. I mean, they were created by, they were created by God himself or, or the creator well himself. by michael they were created by adam like i see adam is as being um as being a little bit different than michael adam's more of like a personality michael's more of an essence so they feel like they're kind of the same being but the same they're different dimensions i think you mentioned that adam was you mentioned that i'm from the order of adam yeah and, you and have the I, I that yourself seventh or eighth dimension yeah he's your i think adam no i think adam's your your yeah, eighth dimension. Yeah. So, um, and, but the, uh, no, he's, yeah, or ninth, I'm not sure. But anyway, mm. so they're saying that um, anyone that comes from Adam is coming from the Godhead. Anyone who comes from um, the, the, there's another side of Adam. And um, they're calling it, it's like, um, it starts with a P. 
pento. Pen, I have to look up what pentos in, in Hebrew means. Or something. Pen, pentos, I mean, pentosian, pento. I'll have to look it up. But they're saying that, that there's the, there's the, with every one, that every time you go left, there's always a right. So mm -hmm. with Adam, there's always like the anti-Adam, like the Christ and the antichrist. Mm -hmm. So the anti-Adam is more like Eve. So the souls that are created by Eve are the ones that are more prone towards um, being, falling into um, humanly pleasures. Like, you know, like being like, oh, wow, I can smell. I can see, I can hear. In the soul plane, all you can do is see. You can't smell, you yeah. can't taste. So here they like, can taste stuff and they can smell stuff. So, right. so there's, two, there's two sides. And the ones that are coming from the Eve side are the ones that are that are more likely to fall into the, the Satan side of things. And so um, what they're saying is that that um, if, if people are aware that they are all about like seeing, feeling, tasting, smelling, all that, to ask Christ to balance them out with the other, like material son and daughter, to, uh -huh. to balance them out with the other side of the material son and daughter. And that will help them to balance out not needing... I don't, I don't think this paper is going to get into their fall because uh, I think the... This is paper 74 on their arrival, uh, but the next paper, 75, is on the default of Adam and Eve. So, they were set up to fall, is what um, Jesus is saying. Yeah, I'm sure they, I'm sure they, they were, because this was already a corrupted planet. Yeah. And they were sent down here to uplift it, but I don't know. They did. They did uplift it by creating duality. Uh, oh. Because they had to fall in order to come into this corrupt, the duality. If they would have stayed up there... We never would have been touched by their chromosomes and their DNA and all that stuff. They would have just been up in the upper dimensional realms. They wouldn't have dematerialized down into the third because they were staying in the fourth. Well, when they came, I just read on here that when they did land in the garden, um, they landed next to a temple dedicated to the Father. So that some of these races that were that had preceded him have already reached a certain religious level. Of, of coming to the conclusion that there was a God, obviously. Oh, okay. Yeah. So let me go. Can I continue yeah, with yeah, the story? Yeah, Okay. So the children spent some time together at the family rendezvous. That's the hundred kids. Uh, the uh, family rendezvous rejoicing that their parents were soon to become the visible heads. In reality, the sole rulers of planet number 606. There's those doggone sixes again. Urantia is planet number 606 in the system of Satania. Now, 36 of the planets are inhabited, are inhabitable. And, uh, but our planet number is 606 in the system of Satania. And thus did Adam and Eve leave Jerusalem amidst the acclaim and well-wishing of its citizens. They went forth to their new responsibilities adequately adequately equipped and fully instructed concerning every duty and danger to be encountered on earth, on Urantia. So now the arrival of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell asleep on Jerusalem. And when they awakened in the Father's temple on Urantia, there we go, they awakened in the Father's temple on earth in the presence of the mighty throng assembled to welcome them. They were face to face with two beings of whom they had heard much. One was Van and his faithful associate, Amadon. There's Van and Amadon. These two heroes of the Caligastia secession. Jesus. What's that? Amadon is part of 
of Jesus? Well, everybody's part of Jesus because Jesus was Michael. And everything, absolutely everything is a part of Michael. Well, Jesus just went, that's me. Oh, okay. And he said Amadon. Anyway, go ahead. We'll so, Van and his faithful associate, Amadon. These two heroes of the Caligastia secession were the first to welcome them in their new garden home. If we went backwards a little bit in the Arantia book, we would get into that Lucifer rebellion. And Caligastia was a planetary prince, obviously. Um, he was involved with Lucifer and, and just taking over. They're just taking over. They're just saying, forget you, God. I mean, we're gods now. And we're the ones in charge. But there were certain evolutionary races that didn't go along with it. And they were headed up by Van and Amadon. So the tongue of Eden was an Andonic dialect as spoken by Amadon. Van and Amadon had markedly improved this language by creating a new alphabet of 24 letters. And they had hoped to see it become the tongue of Urantia as the Edenic, Eden, Edenic culture would spread throughout the world. Adam and Eve had fully mastered this human dialect before they even departed from Jerusalem, so that this son of Andon heard the exalted ruler of his world address him in his own tongue. And on that day, there was great excitement and joy throughout Eden as the runners went in great haste to rendezvous of the carrier pigeons assembled from near and far, shouting, Let loose the birds! Let them carry the word that the promised son has come! They put them on... Uh, uh, pigeons on carrier carrier birds. Hundreds of believer settlements had faithfully year after year kept up the supply of these home-reared pigeons for just such an occasion. As the news of Adam's arrival spread abroad, thousands of the nearby tribesmen accepted the teachings of Van and Amadon, while for months and months pilgrims continued to pour into Eden to welcome Adam and Eve and to do homage to their unseen father. Soon after their awakening, Adam and Eve were escorted to the formal reception on the great mound to the north of the temple. And this natural hill had been enlarged and made ready for the installation of the world's new rulers. I wonder if that was a uh, uh, pyramid. Made ready for the installation of the world's new rulers. Here at noon, the Arantia Reception Committee welcomed this son and daughter of the system of Satania. Amadon was chairman of this committee, which consisted of, here we go, 12 members, that number 12, 12 members embracing a representative of each of the six Sangic races. The acting chief of the Midwayers, Aman, Anan, a loyal daughter and spokesman for the Nodites. Noah, the son of the architect and builder of the garden, and executive of his deceased father's plans and the two resident life carriers. So I wonder if this is the same Noah? I don't know. Uh, I, it feels like it. It was the same Noah that was hung around and, and w had built his ark and everything? It feels like it, yeah. Wow. So Noah was... Uh, but in the Bible, Noah's a seventh son of, yeah, e like of Enoch. Or, or someone that came maybe before him or something like that? I guess. But this is a group uh, a group that met with uh, Adam and Eve when they arrived. And, and it was uh, one of the chief of the midwayers on earth at that time. 
representatives of the six Sangic races, uh, a spokesman for the Nodites, Noah, the son of the architect and builder of the garden and executive of his deceased father's plans. And then two resident life carriers. Not sure, I think life carriers are like people that come down, they, they create certain things up there. Think of all the fish and, and animals that are in the ocean. They're all created up there and then they're brought down here. Maybe that's why we see UFOs go plunging down in the water and that's to drop off some new, new creations, who knows? So the next act was the delivery of the charge of planetary custody to Adam and Eve by the senior Melchizedek, chief of the Council of Receivership on Earth. The material son and daughter took the oath of allegiance to the Most Highs of Norlashadek, Norlashadek, and to Michael of Nebadon, and were proclaimed rulers of Earth by Van, Urantia, who thereby relinquished the his titular authority, which for over 150,000 years, wow, Van, who thereby relinquished the titular authority, which for over 150,000 years, this has got to tie in with, with the Anunnaki. It's just got to tie in with them somehow. Because here Van was in charge for over 150,000 years. And he had held by virtue of the action of the Melchizedek receivers. And Adam and Eve were invested with kingly robes on this occasion, the time of their formal induction into world rulership. Not quite like the Bible story where they're running around naked with fig leaves over their private parts. Here, they arrive and they're in, in kingly robes. Not all of the arts of Dalmatia had been lost to the world. Weaving was still practiced in the days of Eden. So there must have been a much greater society at one point, and then they had the Luciferian Rebellion, and that's kind of what we're going through is a Luciferian Rebellion right now, trying to wipe out everything. It's well, crazy. This is the world before they fell. <sighs> then when they fall, they fall into their own created world, and that's where the fig leaf thing comes in. Oh. Because they're like born again, thinking that they... Yeah, because this, after this, talks about the second garden. First, it talks about their fall, mm -hmm. and then it talks about the second garden. Yeah, the second garden is what we read about in the Bible. We don't ever hear about the first garden, which is this, where it's a grand oh. uh, creation. And um, But then when they fall down in, they, they forget that they even fell in the first place. They think that they're, they're there for the first time. Oh. They fall into duality and they have to relive the whole thing. Of, am I so they, they have the amnesia like we do. Yes, exactly. But they choose to We don't know that we were in heaven first, folks. Yeah. We don't remember that we were, but we were. Okay, then was heard the archangel's proclamation and the broadcast voice of Gabriel. There's Gabriel. He's always, he's number two. He's number two in charge. And the broadcast voice of Gabriel decreed the second judgment roll call of Urantia and the resurrection of the sleeping survivors of the second dispensation of grace and mercy on 606 of Sustania. What's grace and mercy? Dispensation is basically when somebody dies and then they're resurrected again. Oh, okay. In, in spirit form. So let's see what it says. The dispensation of the prince has passed. The age of Adam, the third planetary epoch. So Adam becomes the third 
epoch of development that's on what earth. they're using that top whatever and epoch said, epoc yeah that's epoch. the word that they were saying that i was saying oh the other side of whatever is the pop or whatever that's, that's what I was oh to say. oh okay yeah so the age of adam the third planetary epoch opens amidst scenes of simple grandeur and the new rulers of urantia start their reign under seemingly favorable conditions notwithstanding the worldwide confusion occasioned by lack of the cooperation of their predecessor in authority on the planet, Lucifer, Calagastia. Okay, so Adam and Eve learn about the planet. And now, after their formal installation, Adam and Eve became painfully aware of their planetary isolation. Silent were the familiar broadcasts, and absent were all the circuits of extraplanetary communication. Their Jerison fellows had gone to worlds running along smoothly with a well-established planetary prince and, and an experienced staff ready to receive them and competent to cooperate with them during their early experience on such worlds. So other Adam and Eve's that went to other planets didn't had not had a planetary rebellion. They came and when the when the rebellion took place, the most highs, the the they shut off all the communication. So there's no more communication to the earth from the upper ethers. Let's put it that way. Keep it simple. So, okay. So most other ones have a cooperative setting that they enter into during their early experience on such worlds. But on Urantia, rebellion had changed everything. Here, the planetary prince was very much present and though shorn of most of his power to work evil, he was still able to make the task of Adam and Eve difficult and to some extent hazardous. It was the serious and disillusioned son and daughter of Jerusalem who walked that night through the garden under the shining of the full moon, discussing plans for the next day. Thus ended the first day of Adam and Eve on isolated Urantia, the confused planet of the Caligastia betrayal. And they walked and talked far into the night and their first night on earth. And it was just so lonely. They were alone. Adam's second day on earth was spent in session with the planetary receivers and the advisory council. <clears throat> Lots of universe personalities, creatures were here on earth. From the Melchizedeks and their associates, Adam and Eve learned more about the details of the Caligastia Rebellion and the result of that upheaval upon the world's progress. And it was on the whole a disheartening story, this long recital of the mismanagement of the world affairs. They learned all the facts regarding the utter collapse of the Caligastia scheme for accelerating the process of social evolution. This got to tie in with the Anunnaki story. Because remember, it seemed like, uh, if any of you have read our book, uh, Mysteries of the Universe, uh, Mysteries of Earth, rather, um, the Anunnaki had, had, uh, had a god that came from, uh, from uh, Nibiru. Nibiru, that's a planet that travels around... Uh, um, not in the same circle as we do. We go around the sun like this. Uh, but Nibiru is a planet that travels like this around our solar system. That's why it takes 3,200 years uh, to pass by Earth. And whenever they pass by Earth, 
the Anunnaki's hop on their ships and they come down to earth and do their thing. Uh, mostly here to get gold. They need gold uh, because they had had a real problem on their planet and their atmosphere needed gold, gold in their atmosphere. So they would get it from earth. But this seems to tie together with all those Anunnaki person, uh, personalities. So anyway, they also arrived at a full realization of the folly of attempting to achieve planetary advancement independently of the divine plan of progression. And thus, ended a sad but enlightening day, their second day on Urantia. The third day was devoted to an inspection of the garden. From the large passenger birds, they had passenger birds, I mean, birds that you could climb up on. Think of the movie Avatar. Think of the movie Avatar, how they got those big birds and you could fly around and hang on to the reins or whatever. Well, apparently when Adam and Eve came, there were large birds that you could fly around on. From the large passenger birds, the Fandors, that's what they were called, the Fandors. Adam and Eve looked down upon the vast stretches of the garden while being carried through the air over this, the most beautiful spot on earth. This day of inspection ended with an enormous banquet in the honor of all who had labored to create this garden of Edenic beauty and grandeur. And again, late into the night of their third day, the son and his mate, that would be Adam and Eve, walked in the garden and talked about the immensity of their problems. <laughs> Only took them three days to realize they got a whole bunch of problems. So on the fourth day, Adam and Eve addressed the garden assembly. From the inaugural mount, they spoke to the people concerning their plans for the rehabilitation of the world and outlined the methods whereby they would seek to redeem the social culture of Urantia from the low levels to which it had fallen as a result of sin and rebellion. This was a great day and it closed with a feast for the council of men and women who had been selected to assume responsibilities in the new administration of world affairs. Take note, women as well as men were in this group. And that was the first time such a thing had occurred on earth since the days of Dalmatia. Don't know when that was. It was an astounding innovation to behold Eve, a woman, sharing the honors and responsibilities of world affairs with a man. And thus ended the fourth day on earth. The fifth day was occupied with the organization of the temporary government, the administration which was to function until the Melchizedek receivers should leave the planet. The sixth day was devoted to an inspection of the numerous types of men and animals. Along with the walls eastward in Eden, Adam and Eve were escorted all day, viewing the animal life of the planet and arriving at a better understanding as to what must be done to bring order out of the confusion of a world inhabited by such a variety of living creatures. It greatly surprised those who accompanied Adam on this trip to observe how fully he understood the nature and function of the thousands upon thousands of animals shown him. The instant he glanced at an animal, he would indicate its nature and behavior. Adam could give names descriptive of their origin and their nature and function of all material creatures on sight. Those who conducted him on this tour of inspection did not know that the world's new ruler was one of the most expert 
anatomists, anatomists, anatomists of all Satania, and Eve was equally proficient. I'm just going to say there. I mean, they've been doing science science work up there on Jerusalem, uh, wherever that is, uh, up there on the probably the capital star or, or capital city of the system Satania. But they were up there for like 150,000 years uh, working on creating animals and plants. Adam amazed his associates by describing hosts of living things too small to be seen by human eyes. Huh. Viruses and things like that? Bacteria? Probably. When the sixth day of their sojourn on earth was over, Adam and Eve rested for the first time in their new home, in the east of Eden. The first six days of the Arantia adventure had been very busy, and they looked forward with great pleasure to an entire day of freedom from all activities. But circumstances dictated otherwise. The experience of the day just passed in which Adam had so intelligently and so exhaustively discussed the animal life on, on Urantia, together with his masterly inaugural address and his charming manner, had so won the hearts and overcome the intellects of the garden dwellers that they were not only wholeheartedly disposed to accept the newly arrived son and daughter of Jerusalem's rulers, but the majority were about ready to fall down and worship them as gods. The first upheaval. That night, the night following the sixth day, while Adam and Eve slumbered, strange things were transpiring in the vicinity of the Father's temple. In the, in the vicinity of the Father's temple, in the central sector of Eden. There, under the rays of the mellow moon, hundreds of enthusiastic and excited men and women listened for hours to the impassioned pleas of their leaders. They meant well, but they simply could not understand the simplicity of the fraternal and democratic manner of their new rulers. And long before daybreak, the new and temporary administrators of world affairs reached a virtually unanimous conclusion that Adam and his mate were altogether too modest and unassuming. They decided that divinity had descended to earth in bodily form, that Adam and Eve were in reality gods, or else so near such an estate as to be worthy of reverent worship. The amazing events of the first six days of Adam and Eve on earth were entirely too much for the unprepared minds of even the world's best men at that time. Their heads were in a whirl. They were swept along with the proposal to bring the noble pair up to the Father's temple at high noon in order that everyone might bow down in respectful worship and prostrate themselves in humble submission. Prostrate, that's getting down on your knees and, and got your hands forward and your head down on the ground. And the garden dwellers were really sincere in all of this. Van, though, pr protested. And Amadon was absent, being in charge of the guard of honor which had remained behind with Adam and Eve overnight. But Van's protest was swept aside. He was told that he was too, he likewise was just too modest, too unassuming, that he was not far from a god himself. Else how had he lived so long on earth? Remember, he lived like 150,000 years. And how had he brought about such a great event as the advent of Adam. 
And as the excited Edenites were about to seize him and carry him up to the mount for adoration, Van made his way out through the throng and being able to communicate with the midwayers, there's the midwayers again, sent their leader in great haste to Adam. Remember, midwayers can take on, they're, they're between angels and man. That's how they're described in the Rancho book. Midwayers are between man and angel. And they can be angels, they can be man. They can materialize themselves into men. But they're the bearers of knowledge. And the midwayers take in everything, just like a computer taking in data, 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 data. So apparently these midwayers had taken on human form. So anyway, it was near the dawn of their seventh day on earth that Adam and Eve heard the startling news of the proposal of these well-meaning but misguided mortals. And then, even while the passenger birds were swiftly winging to bring them to the temple, the midwayers, being able to do such things, transported Adam and Eve to the Father's temple. They transported him. Did they do it on the birds? Or did they dematerialize and rematerialize again? Wow. It was early on the morning of the seventh day, and from the mount of their so recent reception, that Adam held forth in explanation of the orders of divine sonship and made clear to these earth minds of the people that existed at that time that only the Father and those whom he designates may be worshipped, that only the Father and he who he designates shall be worshipped. Adam made it plain that he would accept any honor and receive all respect, but worship never. He did not want to be worshipped. It was a momentous day, and just before noon, about the time of the arrival of the seraphic messenger, bearing the Jerusalem acknowledgement of the installation of the world's rulers, Adam and Eve, moving apart from the throng, pointed to the Father's temple and said, this is what Adam and Eve said to all, all the people around, Go you now to the material emblem of the Father's invisible presence and bow down and worship of him who made us all and who keeps us living. And let this act be the sincere pledge that you never will again be tempted to worship anyone but God. And they all did as Adam directed. The material son and daughter stood alone on the mount with bowed heads while the people prostrated themselves about the temple. And this was the origin of the Sabbath day tradition. This was the origin of the Sabbath day, a day of rest and a day of worship. Always in Eden, the seventh day was devoted to the noontide assembly at the temple. Long it was the custom to devote this day to self-culture. The forenoon was devoted to physical improvement, the noontime to spiritual worship, and the afternoon to mind culture, while the evening was spent in social rejoicing. This was never the law in Eden, but it was the custom as long as the Adamic administration held sway on earth. Here's Adam's administration. How are we doing on time? I think we're doing we're doing okay. I think I started at 5.30. I don't even remember when I started. Doggone it. Gosh, I think it's about an hour. I wonder if I should get Marissa in here. For almost seven years after Adam's arrival, the Melchizedek receivers remained on duty. So... For seven years, 
Melchizedek's hung around along with uh, Adam and Eve, and they remained on duty. But the time finally came. You can go like ten more minutes, and I'll come in. I'm listening. Okay, ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. I'm taking notes. Okay. All right. Let's do it for about ten more minutes, and then Marissa will come in. But the time finally came when they turned the administration of world affairs over to Adam, and then they returned to Jerusalem. The farewell of the receivers occupied the whole of a day, and during the evening, the individual Melchizedeks gave Adam and Eve their parting advice and their best wishes. Adam had several times requested his advisors to remain on earth with him. He's asking them to stay. But always were these petitions denied. The time had come when the material sons must assume full responsibility for the conduct of world affairs. Keep thinking of that, remember? <sighs> because uh, Michael had become a material son in one of his incarnations. And so at midnight, the seraphic transports, the seraphic transports, what are they? Of Satania left the planet with 14 beings for Jerusalem. The translation of Van and Abaddon occurring simultaneously with the departure of the 12 Melchizedeks. So there are 14, so did uh, the translation, I wonder if that meant Van and Abaddon went with the Melchizedeks. Because there were 14, but there were 12 Melchizedeks. And they went on a seraphic transport. What's a seraphic transport? All went fairly well for a time on Urantia, and it appeared that Adam would eventually be able to develop some plan for promoting the gradual extension of the Edenic civilization. Pursuant to the advice of the Melchizedeks, he began to foster the arts of manufacture with the idea of developing trade relations with the outside world. Boy, this still ties in so much with the Anunnaki. Oh, the Anunnaki story. We'll get into that sooner or later. We got so much material. It's really, but I want to keep going with Jesus' story. Eventually, we'll get into all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. So when Eden was disrupted, there were over 100 primitive manufacturing plants in operation. 100 primitive manufacturing plants in operation. And extensive trade relations with the nearby tribes had been established. For ages, Adam and Eve had been instructed in the technique of improving a world in readiness for their specialized con contributions to the advancement of evolutionary civilization. But now they were face to face, face to face with pressing problems such as the establishment of law and order in a world of savages, barbarians, and semi-civilized human beings. Aside from the cream of the earth's population assembled in the garden, only a few groups here and there were at all ready for the reception of the Adamic culture. Adam made a heroic and determined effort to establish a world government, but he met with stubborn resistance at every turn. Adam had already put in operation a system of group control throughout Eden and had federated all of these companies into the Edenic League. But trouble, serious trouble, ensued when he went outside the garden and sought to apply those ideas to the outlying tribes. The moment Adam's associates began to work outside the garden, they met the direct and well-planned resistance of Caligastia and Dalagastia. Caligastia and Dalagastia. I think Dalagastia was his wife. 
The fallen prince had been deposed as world ruler. He had been kicked off as world ruler. But he also showed up again. Remember when Jesus was up on Mount Hebron, Calagastia was deposed as the planetary prince. And Jesus became the planetary prince at that time. But looks like he had been deposed once before. But he had not been removed from the planet. He was still present on earth and able at least to, to some extent to resist all of Adam's plans for the rehabilitation of human society. Adam tried to warn the races against Calagastia, but the task was made very difficult because his arch enemy was invisible to the eyes of mortals. Was that Calagastia that was invisible, or was it Lucifer that was invisible, or was it both of them? Even, I mean, even to us today, those evil forces we can't see. We can't see them. They're just around. They're just around, creating all kinds of havoc right now. So even among the Edenites, there were those confused minds that leaned toward the Caligastia teaching of unbridled personal liberty. And they caused Adam no end of trouble. Always were they upsetting the best laid plans for orderly progression and substantial development. He was finally compelled to withdraw his program for immediate socialization. He fell back on Van's method of organization, dividing the Edenites into companies of 100 with captains over each and with lieutenants in charge of groups of 10. Adam and Eve had come to institute representative government in the place of monarchial, but they found no government worthy of the name on the face of the whole earth. For the time being, Adam abandoned all effort to establish representative government. And before the collapse of the Edenic regime, he succeeded in establishing almost 100 outlying trade and social centers where strong individuals ruled in his name. Most of these centers had been organized aforetime by Van and Amadon. The sending of ambassadors from one tribe to another dates from the times of Adam. This was a great forward step in the evolution of government. And then it gets into the uh, home life of Adam and Eve. But you know what? I think uh, so that we don't go just that long. Let's see. The Adamic family grounds embraced a little over five square miles. Wow. That's a big piece of property. So their grounds, the Adam and Eve's grounds, their home was five square miles. And immediately surrounding this home site, provision had been made for the care of more than 300,000 of the pure line offspring. Whoa, they're getting ready for three, 300,000 pure line offspring? But only the first unit of the projected buildings was ever constructed. Before the size of the Adamic family outgrew these early provisions, the whole Edenic plan had been disrupted and then the garden was vacated. Adamson was the firstborn of the violet race of Urantia, being followed by his sister, Eveson. Eveson. So Adam's son, Adam's son, was the firstborn of the violet race of Urantia, being followed by his sister, Eveson, the second son of Adam and Eve. Oh, wait a minute. Being followed by his sister. 
That's right. They come. They come in pairs. They come in pairs. So the man comes. The girl comes. The man comes. The girl comes. So the second one, Eve's son. I guess uh, this sounds like Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain would be Adamson, and uh, Abel would be Eve's son. I don't know. Let's see what they say. The second son of Adam and Eve. Eve was the mother of five children before the Melchizedek's left. Three sons and two daughters. Huh. The next two were twins. She bore 63 children, 32 daughters and 31 sons before the default. When Adam and Eve left the garden, their family consisted of four generations numbering 1,647 pure line descendants. They had 42 children after leaving the garden besides the two offspring of joint parentage with the mortal stock of earth. They blended. They blended. The two offspring of joint parentage with the mortal stock of earth. And this does not include the Adamic parentage to the Nodite and evolutionary races. I'd have to be going through a lot of the prehistory of Adam and Eve for you to understand who the Nodites are and the, who the evolutionary races are. But just like in the Bible, they say uh, when Cain killed Abel, um, Adam and Eve threw Cain out of the garden and put a, uh, a mark on him so that he would not be killed by the Nephilim. Now, the Nephilim were tall people, but in our own books uh, and in the book of Enoch, uh, those came from, in Genesis 6, uh, the Nephilim came from uh, the mixture of the sons of God uh, with the daughters of man. And then they had monsters. They had, had uh, great men of old, as they call them. Call them giants. Eventually, they, be, they became monsters. So let's see how much... Let's go just a little longer. The Adamic children, the Adamic children did not take milk from animals when they ceased to nurse the mother's breast at one year of age. So they, they would suckle for a year, uh, breastfeed. Eve had access to the milk of a great variety of nuts and to the juices of many fruits. Whoa. So the children were not given milk from a cow or a, or a, a goat. Uh, don't even know if they had cows and goats then. Uh, but they were fed. That, that's something that I think parents today might want to think about. Uh, because they used the milk of a great variety of nuts and to the juices of many fruits. And knowing that full well the chemistry and energy of these foods, they were scientists, she suitably combined them for the nourishment of her children until the appearance of teeth. So that's what the kids would would suckle for a year and then they would drink the milk of nuts and uh, the juice of fruit. While cooking was universally employed outside of the immediate Adamic sector of Eden, there was no cooking in Adam's household. They found their foods, fruits, nuts, and cereals ready prepared as they ripened. They ate once a day, shortly after noontime, Adam and Eve also imbibed light and energy direct from certain space emanations in conjunction with the ministry of the tree of life. The tree of life. What is that again? 
They ate once a day, shortly after noontime. Adam and Eve also imbibed. Imbibing is drinking, isn't that? Drink, drinking? Imbibed light and energy direct from certain space emanations in conjunction with the ministry of the tree of life. What does that mean? I don't know. The bodies of Adam and Eve gave forth a shimmer of light but they always wore clothing in conformity with the custom of their associates. Though wearing very little during the day, at eventide, they donned night wraps. The origin of the traditional halo encircling the heads of supposed pious and holy men dates back to the days of Adam and Eve. Since the light emanations of their bodies were so largely obscured by clothing, only the radiating glow from their heads was discernible. Wow, they're the first angels. The descendants of Adamson always thus portrayed their concept of individuals believed to be extraordinary in spiritual development. That has to do with masks. Masks? Masks cover the light of the body. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the middle of our head is Christ, so we're covering with the mask, we're covering the emanation of our light body. I can believe it. I'll be in in a second. Okay, come on in. Okay, let me keep going until Marissa pops in here. And thanks everybody who's who's on here live. Adam and Eve could communicate with each other and with their immediate children over a distance of about 50 miles. Adam and Eve could communicate with each other and with their immediate children over a distance of about 50 miles. How'd they do this? Oh, this thought exchange was affected by means of the delicate gas chambers located in close proximity to their brain structures. What the heck? Now keep in mind, they eventually created uh, another form of humans when they mixed, in fact, eating the apple, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but the eating of the apple was Eve having sex with an evolutionary man. So that she created, and I'm going to guess, that would have been Cain. And then, Adam, because of what Eve did, did it with an evolutionary woman. And then I think they got thrown out of the garden for that. That's what they got thrown out of the garden for. But somehow or another, they had some chamber means of the delicate gas chambers located in close proximity to their brain structures. By this mechanism, they could send and receive thought oscillations. But this power was instantly suspended upon the mind's surrender to the discord and disruption of evil. Now, that's something that I bet you Elon Musk could probably come up with. You want to read that one more, that last part one more time? Yeah, let me go back. He said... Um, Adam and Eve could communicate with each other and with their immediate children over a distance of about 50 miles. And this thought exchange, thought exchange, was affected by means of the delicate gas chambers located in close proximity to their brain. Where were these gas chambers? On their body. Oh, in the back of the head? By this mechanism, they could send and receive thought oscillations. 
but this power was instantly suspended upon the mind surrender to the discord and disruption of evil. So once they surrendered to evil, then all communication ended. The Adamic children attended their own schools until they were 16, the younger being taught by the elder. The little folks changed activities every 30 minutes, the older every hour. And it was certainly a new sight on Urantia to observe these children of Adam and Eve at play, joyous and exhilarating activity just for the sheer fun of it. The play and humor of the present day races are largely derived from the Adamic, the Adamic stock. The Adamites all had a great appreciation of music as well as a keen sense of humor. So our comedians and musicians come from Adam. Mm -hmm. Wow. The average age of betrothal was 18. And these youths then enforced upon a, entered upon a two-year course of instruction on preparation for the assumption of marital responsibilities. At 20, they were eligible for marriage. And after marriage, they began their life work or entered upon special preparation therefore. The practice of some subsequent nations of permitting the royal families, supposedly descended from the gods, to marry brother to sister dates from the traditions of the Adamic offspring, mating as they must needs with one another. The marriage ceremonies of the first and second generations of the garden were always performed by Adam and Eve. They were the first ministers. And then it gets into the life in the garden, what have you, but I'd rather kind of... Adam and Eve didn't have any kids in the real world, did they? Adam and Eve had 150 kids, or 100 kids, before they even come down, came down to earth. They had 50 sons and 50 daughters up there in Jerusalem, uh, I guess. And then they came down, and we just said they had uh, 150 kids? 151, because one was twins. But not with each other. Yes, with each other, with Adam and Eve. They didn't fall until we get into the next paper. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. When they, oh, yeah, they, we haven't gotten to them falling yet. I think they're already falling here, partially. Life in the Garden. Let's see, let me skip over Life in the Garden. Let me see if I can get to um, the fall. Yeah, we're good on that. I think the fall is important. Health and the care of the body. Yeah, let me... I think i got to go into the next paper to get into that. So, let me see. Yeah, this is just talking about what they do. Schools, play, laws, sanitation, commerce, fair play, fair play and competition, civil codes of the golden rule, the seven commands of supreme moral rule. God, they were setting up all kinds of government and everything. The public worship hour of Eden was noon. Sunset was the hour of family worship. Uh, let me see if I'm almost down there. Let me get down to the bottom. See if I can find when they fall. Oh, 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 oh. Wait, here we go. Cain. Let's see. In his early teachings, Moses very wisely did not attempt to go back of Adam's time. And since Moses was the supreme teacher of the Hebrews, the stories of Adam became intimately associated with those of creation. That the earlier traditions recognized pre-Adamic civilization is clearly shown by the fact that later editors, intending to eradicate all reference to human affairs, 
before Adam's time, neglected to remove the telltale reference to Cain's immigration to the land of Nod, where he took himself a wife. The Hebrews had no written language in general usage for a long time after they reached Palestine. They learned the use of an alphabet from the neighboring Philistines, who were political refugees from the higher civilization of Crete. The Hebrews did little writing until about 900 BC, and having no written language until such a later date, they had several different stories of creation in circulation, but after the Babylonian captivity, they inclined more toward accepting a modified Mesopotamian version. Uh, let's see, I still wanted to get down to... They mentioned Cain here, but they haven't actually gotten into the story of that. Uh, the spurious document reputed to be the teacher. Whoa, wait, let's, oh, this is interesting. Let me read something here. It says, uh, when the Jewish priests returned to Jerusalem, they had already completed the writing of their, oh, that's after Babylon, the Babylonian um, captivity. Uh, they completed the writing of their narrative of the beginning of things. Soon they made claims that this recital was a recently discovered story of creation written by Moses. But the contemporary Hebrews of around 500 BC did not consider these writings to be divine revelations. They looked upon them much as later peoples regard mythological narratives. This spurious document, reputed to be the teachings of Moses, was brought to the attention of Ptolemy, Ptolemy the Greek king of Egypt who had it translated into Greek by a commission of 70 scholars for his new library at Alexandria. And so this account found its place among those writings which subsequently became a part of the later collections of the sacred scriptures. We've been talking about the scriptures of the Hebrew and Christian religions. And through identification with these theological systems, such concepts for a long time profoundly influenced the philosophy of many Occidental peoples. The Christian teachers perpetuated the belief in the fiat creation of the human race, and all this led directly to the formation of the hypothesis of a one-time golden age of utopian bliss and the theory of the fall of man or superman, which accounted for the non-utopian non condition of society. These outlooks on life and man's place in the universe were at best discouraging since they were predicated upon a belief in retrogression rather than progression, as well as implying a vengeful deity who had vented wrath upon the human race in retribution for the errors of certain one-time planetary administrators, Lucifer, Caligastia, says, and this is, this, this is uh, the midwives, the golden age, quote-unquote, the golden age is a myth, but Eden was a fact and the garden civilization was actually overthrown. Adam and Eve carried on in the garden for 117 years, when through the impatience of Eve and the heirs of judgment of Adam, they presumed to turn aside from the ordained way, speedily, speedily bringing disaster upon themselves and ruinous retardation upon the developmental progression of all Urantia. And this was narrated by Solonia, the seraphic voice in the garden. Whoa, so this paper we just read was narrated by Solonia, and she was seraphic, she was angel, and she was the voice in the garden. Amazing. Okay, the next paper is The uh, Default of Adam and Eve, and we've definitely gone 
Uh, well, just about as long as what I just got done. But maybe I can I can just touch on the top of it. See, the fault of Adam and Eve. After more than 100 years of effort on Urantia, Adam was able to see very little progress outside the garden. The world at large did not seem to be improving much. The realization of race betterment appeared to be a long way off, and the situation seemed so desperate as to demand something for relief, not embraced in the original plans. At least that is what often passed through Adam's mind, and he so expressed himself many times to Eve. Adam and his mate were loyal, but they were isolated from their kind. Other scientists from up there in Jerusalem, and they were sorely distressed by the sorry plight of their world. First part is the Arantia problem. The Adamic mission on experimental rebellion seared and isolated Arantia was a formidable undertaking. And the material son and daughter early became aware of the difficulty and complexity of their planetary assignment. Nevertheless, they courageously set about the task of solving their manifold problems. But when they addressed themselves to the all-important work of eliminating the defectives and the degenerates from among the human strains, they were quite dismayed. They could see no way out of the dilemma, and they could not take counsel with their superiors on either Jerusalem or Edentia. Here they were, isolated, and day by day confronted with some new and complicated tangle, some problem that seemed to be unsolvable. And under normal conditions, the first work of a planetary Adam and Eve would be the coordination and blending of the races. But on ranches, such a project seemed just about hopeless. For the races, while biologically fit, had never been purged of their retarded and defective strains. Adam and Eve found themselves on a sphere wholly unprepared for the proclamation of the brotherhood of man, a world groping about in abject spiritual darkness and cursed with confusion, worse confounded by the miscarriage of the mission of the preceding administration, that would be the Caligastia people. Mind and morals were at a low level, and instead of beginning the task of effecting religious unity, they must begin all anew the work of converting the inhabitants to the most simple forms of religious belief. Instead of finding one language ready for adoption, they were confronted by the worldwide confusion of hundreds upon hundreds of local dialects. No atom of the planetary service was ever set down on a more difficult world. The obstacles seemed insuperable and the problems beyond creature solution. They were isolated, and the tremendous sense of loneliness which bore down upon them was all the more heightened by the early departure of the Melchizedek receivers. Only indirectly, by means of the angelic orders, could they communicate with any being off the planet. So they could still communicate with angelic orders, the seraphim. Slowly their courage weakened, their spirits drooped, and sometimes their faith almost faltered. And this is a true picture of the consternation of these two noble souls as they pondered the tasks which confronted them. They were both keenly aware of the enormous undertaking involved in the execution of their planetary assignment. And probably no material sons of Nebadon were ever faced with such a difficult and seemingly hopeless task as confronted Adam and Eve in the sorry plight of Urantia.
but they would have sometime met with success had they been more far-seeing and patient, patient in italics. Both of them, especially Eve, were altogether too impatient. They were not willing to settle down to the long, long endurance test. They wanted to see some immediate results, and they did. But the results thus secured proved most disastrous both to themselves and to the world. Oh, it was Caligastia's plot. So Caligastia is still hanging around. Caligastia paid frequent visits to the garden and held many conferences with Adam and Eve, but they were adamant to all his suggestions of compromise and shortcut adventures. They had before them enough of the results of rebellion to produce effective immunity against all such insinuating proposals. Even the young offspring of Adam were in, uninfluenced by the overtures of Dalagastia. Again, I think Dalagastia is a wife or cohort of Caligastia. And of course, neither Caligastia nor his associate had power to influence any individual against his will, much less to persuade the children of Adam to do wrong. It must be remembered that Caligastia was still the titular planetary prince of Earth, Urantia, a misguided but nevertheless high son of the local universe. He was not finally deposed until the times of Christ Michael on Urantia. Okay, there it is. I said, gosh, I don't remember. It seemed like uh, it was Jesus who got rid of Caligastia and took over as planetary prince. And that's what they're saying right now. He hung around right until that date when Jesus was up there on that Mount Hebron and confronted both Caligastia and Lucifer. But the fallen prince was persistent and determined. He soon gave up working on Adam and decided to try a wily flank attack on Eve. The evil one concluded that the only hope for success lay in the adroit employment of suitable persons belonging to the upper strata of the Nodite group, the descendants of his one-time corporeal staff associates. And the plans were accordingly laid for entrapping the mother of the violet race. So Adam and Eve were the violet race. If we went back a little bit further in the Arantia book, we'd find out that there was the white, blue, brown, black, yellow, red, and green. Those were the, all the colored races, uh, evolutionary races, were all colored and were in different parts of the world. The violet race was the pure race, uh, straight from heaven. It was farthest from Eve's intention ever to do anything which would, which would militate against Adam's plans or jeopardize their planetary trust. Knowing the tendency of woman to look upon immediate results rather than to plan farsightedly for more remote effects, the Melchizedeks, before departing, had especially told Eve as to the peculiar dangers besetting their isolated position on the planet and had in particular warned her never to stray from the side of her mate. That is, to attempt no personal or secret methods of furthering their mutual undertakings. Eve had most scrupulously carried out these instructions for more than 100 years, and it didn't occur to her that any danger would attach to the increasingly private and confidential visits she was enjoying with a certain nodite leader named Serapatacha, 
Serapatatia. Uh-oh. Looks like we got a problem here. Eve is spending time with another guy. The whole affair developed so gradually and naturally that she was taken unawares. The garden dwellers had been in contact with the Nodites since the early days of Eden. From these mixed descendants of the defaulting members of Caligastia's staff, they had received much valuable help and cooperation, and through them the Edenic regime was now to meet its complete undoing and final overthrow. Now is the temptation of Eve. Adam had just finished his first 100 years on earth when Serapatatia, upon the death of his father, came to the leadership of the Western or Syrian Confederation of the Nodite tribes. Serapatatia was a brown-tinted man, a brilliant descendant of the one-time chief of the Dalamatia Commission on Health Mated with one of the master female minds of the blue race of those distant days. So they had a mix of blue and brilliant descendant of the one-time chief of the Dalamatia Commission on Health mated with one of the master female minds of the blue race of those distant days. All down through the ages, this line had held authority and wielded a great influence among the Western Nodite tribes. Serapatasha had made several visits to the garden and had become deeply impressed with the righteousness of Adam's cause. And shortly after assuming the leadership of the Syrian Nodites, he announced his intention of establishing an affiliation with the work of Adam and Eve in the garden. And the majority of his people joined him in this program, and Adam was cheered by the news that the most powerful and the most intelligent of all the neighboring tribes had swung over almost bodily to the support of the program for world improvement. It was decidedly heartening. And shortly after this great event, Serapatasha and his new staff were entertained by Adam and Eve in their own home. Serapatasha became one of the most able and efficient of all of Adam's lieutenants. He was entirely honest and thoroughly sincere in all of his activities. He was never conscious, even later on, that he was being used, used as a circumstantial tool of the wily Caligastia. Presently, Serapatasia became the associate chairman of the Edenic Commission on Tribal Relations, and many plans were laid for the more vigorous prosecution of the work of winning the remote tribes to the cause of the garden. And he held many conferences with Adam and Eve, especially with Eve, and they talked over many plans for improving their methods. One day, during a talk with Eve, it occurred to Serapatasia that it would be very helpful if, while awaiting the recruiting of large numbers of the violet race, something could be done in the meantime immediately to advance the needy waiting tribes. Serapatasha contended that if the Nodites, as the most progressive and cooperative race, could have a leader born to them of part origin in the violet stock, it would, this sounds like the Anunnaki so much. The Anunnaki, they did the same thing. It would constitute a powerful tie binding these peoples more closely to the garden. And all of this was soberly and honestly considered to be the good for the good of the world. Since this child to be reared and educated in the garden would exert a great influence for good over his father's people. 
It should again be emphasized that Sarah was altogether honest and wholly sincere in all that he proposed. He never once suspected that he was playing into the hands of Caligastia and Dalagastia. Sarah was entirely loyal to the plan of building up a strong reserve of the violet race before attempting the worldwide upstepping of the confused peoples of Urantia. But this would require hundreds of years to consummate, and he was impatient. He wanted to see some immediate results, something in his own lifetime. He made it clear to Eve that Adam was oftentimes discouraged by the little that had been accomplished toward uplifting the world. So for more than five years, these plans were secretly matured. At last, they had developed to the point where Eve consented to have a secret conference with Cano, C-A-N-O, Cano, the most brilliant mind and active leader of the nearby colony of friendly Nodites. Cano was very sympathetic with the Adamic regime. In fact, he was the sincere spiritual leader of those neighboring Nodites who favored friendly relations with the garden. The fateful meeting occurred during the twilight hours of the autumn evening, not far from the home of Adam. Eve had never before met the beautiful and enthusiastic Cano, and he was a magnificent specimen of the survival of the superior physique and outstanding intellect of his remote progenitors of the prince's staff. And Cano also thoroughly believed in the righteousness of the Serapatasha project. Outside of the garden, multiple mating was a common practice. Outside of the garden, multiple mating was a common practice. In other words, guys were doing it with whatever girls they wanted to do it with. It. Influenced by flattery, enthusiasm, and great personal persuasion, Eve then and there consented to embark upon the much-discussed enterprise to add her own little scheme of world-saving to the larger and more far-reaching divine plan. Before she quite realized what was transpiring, the fatal step had been taken. It was done. She slept with Cano. The celestial life, this is uh, uh, the realization of default. The celestial life of the planet was astir. Adam recognized that something was wrong, and he asked Eve to come aside with him in the garden. And now, for the first time, Adam heard the entire story of the long-nourished plan for accelerating world improvement by operating simultaneously in two directions. The prosecution of the divine plan co-committantly with the execution of the Serapatasha enterprise. And as the material son and daughter thus communed in the moonlight garden, the voice in the garden, quote, the voice in the garden reproved them for disobedience. The voice in the garden reproved, scolded them for disobedience. And that voice was none other than my own announcement to the Edenic pair that they had transgressed the garden covenant. That they So whoever's, whoever's being channeled here is the one that was in the garden that told them that they screwed up. says, and that voice was none other than my own announcement to the Edenic pair that they had transgressed the Garden Covenant, that they had disobeyed the instructions of the Melchizedeks, that they had defaulted in the execution of their oaths of trust to the sovereign of the universe. 
Eve had consented to participate in the practice of good and evil. Good is the carrying out of the divine plans. Sin is a deliberate transgression of the divine will. Evil is the misadaptation of plans and the maladjustment of techniques, resulting in universe disharmony and planetary confusion. Every time the garden pair had partaken of the fruit of the tree of life, they had been warned by the archangel custodian to refrain from yielding to the suggestions of Caligastia to combine good and evil. They had been thus admonished. In the day that you commingled good and evil, you shall surely become as the mortals of the realm. You shall surely die. Eve had told Cano of this oft-repeated warning of the fateful occasion of their secret meeting, but Cano, not knowing the import or significance of such admonitions, had assured her that men and women with good motives and true intentions could do no evil, that she should surely not die, but rather live anew in the person of their offspring who would grow up to bless and stabilize the world. Even though this project of modifying the divine plan had been conceived and executed with entire sincerity and with only the highest motives concerning the welfare of the world, it constituted evil because it represented the wrong way to achieve righteous ends, because it departed from the right way, the divine plan. True, Eve had found Cano pleasant to the eyes, and she realized all that her seducer promised by way of new and increased knowledge of human affairs and quickened understanding of human nature as supplemental to the comprehension of the Adamic nature. I talked to the father and mother of the violet race that night in the garden as became my duty under the sorrowful circumstances. I listened fully to the recital of all that led up to the default of Mother Eve and gave both of them advice and counsel concerning the immediate situation. Some of this advice they followed, some they disregarded. This conference appears in your records as, quote, the Lord calling, the Lord God calling to Adam and Eve in the garden and asking, where are you? Let me read that again. This conference with this, and we're going to find out who this is. It's a seraphic person. I think it's uh, an angel. Um, I don't know. We'll get, I'll scroll down here very shortly. We'll find out. So this conference appears in your records. That would be the Bible as the Lord God calling to Adam and Eve in the garden and asking, where are you? It was the practice of later generations to attribute everything unusual and extraordinary, whether natural or spiritual directly to the personal intervention of the gods. Then it gets into the repercussions of the default. I don't know if we got the time to get into that or whether you want me to or not. You want you want to get into it? This is going to be a long one today. Some people are looping back around and coming back in. Okay. I'm listening. Okay, well, let's just keep on going. Uh, it's a Saturday. We don't normally do a show on Saturday anyway. So uh, we'll just keep going. What else is there to do on a Saturday anyway? Especially the weather is, here is just windy and windy and windy here in Vegas. And, uh, oh, down home in Mexico, we got a big storm called Rosalind. It's a hurricane, and it's coming into my hometown. So Drew and Tawny picked up everything that we have outside and got everything stored. And 
And they packed up the truck and took the dogs and went over the mountain to Topeka, uh, just in case we get hit by the hurricane. So uh, you may check out, check the weather. It's Hurricane Rosalind. And it's it's coming up on Puerto Varta. And, and then our area is about 80 miles north, or yeah, 80 miles north of Puerto Varta. Okay, repercussions of default. Sorry, that's rude. Excuse me. Drinking and burping. Repercussions of the default. Eve's disillusionment was truly pathetic. Wow. Eve's delusionment was truly pathetic. Adam discerned the whole predicament and while heartbroken and dejected, well, just like any husband that a wife who had an affair with somebody. Does he have any affairs too? No, he hasn't done anything wrong. Oh, okay. Only Eve. Eve has slept with Cano and they want a child that will uplift the world. Okay. But they're doing, yeah, they name it Cain. Cano, C-A-N-O. In the comments down there, I said, Kano is stuck up, for lack of a better word, before I knew anything about him, because I was just, I was writing notes about everything that you were writing. Uh -huh. In the comments there, I said, Kano is stuck up. Kano, he was, he was, well, he was a bright, good-looking guy out of the evolutionary races. He's his pets, like animal people. I wonder if he was Anunnaki. He was, he was, but he was like an evolved one. Well, it is, and in the Anunnaki story, they talk about the intermingling of the their pure race mm -hmm. with the evolutionary races uh, on Earth. It's a little bit of a different story. You can pick that up in our book, uh, Mysteries of Earth, uh, when we talk about the Anunnaki. So while heartbreaking and dejected, entertained only pity and sympathy for his erring mate. <coughs> It was in the despair of the realization of failure that Adam, the day after Eve's misstep, sought out Leota. Oh, he went and found a hot chick. Yeah, he went, well, if you're going to screw around, I'm going to screw around. <clears throat> so he sought out Leota, the brilliant Nodite woman who was head of the Western schools of the garden. She and with, part ape. What's that? She looks part ape. She has a very ape-like face. Leota. Well, I think she's she's a high and mighty person of the evolutionary races. She's a brilliant nodite woman, so I can't imagine her looking ape-like unless all the humans were looking ape-like yeah, at that time. Yeah, a little bit more ape-like than you. Yeah. She was the head of the Western schools of the garden and with premeditation committed the folly of Eve. But do not misunderstand. Adam was not beguiled. He knew exactly what he was about. He deliberately chose to share the, fa the fate of Eve. He loved his mate with a supermortal affection and the thought of the possibility of a lonely vigil on Urantia without her was more than he could endure. When they learned what had happened to Eve, the infuriated inhabitants of the garden became unmanageable. They declared war on the nearby Nodite settlement. They swept out through the gates of Eden and down upon these unprepared people, utterly destroying them. Not a man, not a woman, or a child was spared. And Cano, the father of Cain, yet unborn, also perished. Wow, he's killed. Upon the realization of what had happened, Serapatasha was overcome with consternation and beside himself with fear and remorse. The next day he drowned himself in the great river. Now it had either been the Tigris or the Euphrates. The children of Adam sought Jordan. to... 
What was it? Jordan. I don't think so. They weren't over there. It's right in the middle. Jordan River is in uh, is uh, runs between Jerusalem and the uh, uh, and the Sea of Galilee, and where they are is in Mesopotamia, which is where the Tigris and the Euphrates. That's where the garden is. Is there a great sea? There's like a it's, there's like a big. Uh, I see him. He's drowning himself, and it's like right down here in the center of the chest. In the yeah, the Jordan actually runs straight down. The Jordan is a straight river that runs straight sea, straight from from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. But apparently, they're in the area of Mesopotamia, um, which is in Iran now, and and the Great River was either the Tigris or the Euphrates because they were in a um, uh, a triangular area. Uh, between, I, is there a great sea? Is, is the Mediterranean? Euphrates, and then he drowned himself right where those two intersect. Okay. Tigers and like Euphrates, go, they go like this across the body, across the God body or whatever. Um, but yeah, he drowned himself. Okay, well, we've gotten kind of through, the, uh, now they just talk about, you know, all the crap that's going to happen now afterwards. I want to find out who's doing this. I don't, and. Uh, who's channeling? Uh, yeah, who they're channeling here because he mentioned himself as he was the one mm -hmm. that um, that was in the garden. So let me see if I can get this down there to the bottom, find out who this is. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Now how did this happen? Okay, come on, go, go down. Oh boy, I don't know what's happened here. I don't even know if these are my glasses. Yours uh, are clear, remember? Yeah. I don't want to screw this up. Okay, there we go. Um, let me see if I can get this thing down to the bottom and find out who this is. So I think uh, I'll just have you quietly sit down here and if anything comes up. Okay, let's see what it says here. Um, at the bottom. Come on, get up. Oh, gosh. Come on. Come on. Come on. I got to go through all these papers. Got to go up, 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 up. I'm just trying to find out who that was. Oh, that was Salonia again. I was going to say, it's a, it's a, it's a, you mentioned the name earlier. So the person in the garden was Salonia. And she was the seraphic voice in the garden. So she was the one that we we assume was God speaking in the Bible. It was actually a seraphim. It was an angel who was there in the garden and was um, was there talking to Adam and Eve. So um, either the seraphim can take on human form uh, or Adam and Eve had the ability to communicate. Well, they could communicate with their own kids 50 miles away. Um, through something, something of gas that was attached to their brain. So we don't know. <laughs> we don't know who this violet race and what they really look like, except that they were eight feet tall. So it was Eve. Eve decided to go have a kid with the evolutionary races, and that just fits right in with the Anunnaki story because uh, they had the pure race. The, the Anunnakis were pure uh, from Nerubu, Nerubu and they came down to earth and their scientists uh, tried to create workers that would mine all the gold that they wanted. So they wanted to create a certain animal 
And so they went through many changes until they got the perfect Adam. And then the Adam in that story went up and met with God. Uh, but he was kind of tricked uh, by one of the sons of, of the God, uh, not to say anything or do anything and not to accept the glory of, of, of the God of Nibiru. And, uh, and then they came down and the, the created races uh, with the most brilliant of them, an Adam and an Eve, um, the Anunnaki's um, commingle. <laughs> they entered course with each other and they created a higher Adam, a higher Eve, higher Adam and higher Eve. So the Anunnaki story kind of correlates a little bit with what's going on here in the Rancho book. Doesn't follow the Adam and Eve story, but the Adam and Eve story is rather short, actually, in the Bible. And again, we're just getting a huge backstory here, a backstory, just finding out so much more. And this is all channeled. And uh, just as Marissa channels, um, whoever was the channeler of this, this Urantia book, we always assume it's Edgar Casey in the mid-30s, 1930s, um, he was talking to a seraphim, a seraphim. The seraphic Salonia. He was he was talking to Salonia. He said God can't speak without a seraphim. God can't speak because he's too got too much energy. Well, God doesn't speak. God God um, thinks. God is just thought. And when God has to speak to the lower dimensions, it has to speak through an angel. And those seraphic transports are spinning angels, like an angel with one wing spinning in circles. Wow. And they come in, they, they can why don't, why don't we, why don't we change places? Why don't you okay. sit over here? Anyway, Joe Morris, uh, Answers Heaven Speaks. Let's uh, turn it over to Marissa. It's a long one today. Uh, if we go another 25 minutes. Oh, are we already at two hours? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah. this is a long one. I don't know if I want to boost this one out to the world. It might be just too long. We can cut it in half and then boost it then. I'll let you. I don't know if you can do that yeah, on, can. on Facebook. Anyway, okay. I'll be still be here, but Hi, let's Sarah. let's Hi, let Marissa take over. Um, um, Julia's praying for safety of Drew and Tawny. Oh, good. Thank you. Rachel's Thank you. here. I really Hi, guys. It. Yes, um, I appreciate. It. Okay, so the notes um, notes I took were a lot. Trying to juggle the kids and then live up to what my mom wanted to do. Can we just check to see about how much power yeah. I've got? left on that because I don't want it to just die. It's about 30% or so. Oh, it says 30%? It doesn't say 30%, but it looks like about that. Oh, let me check. Let me check without losing this thing here. Good, right. good. It's not going to die. So I drew, they drew out a picture of like a, of like a, a being like a person right here and um this is at the beginning and uh they said that um they showed like a bunch they showed the most high was up here um they showed the uh senior melchizedek would be like right here on the side of the, the body like right around the throat um uh the melchizedek is right in the center of the head um the uh what does that say something you got some glasses there i think that work hmm. um the oh there we go okay so then it says um it says the temple is like right here it's like a triangle you said something about a triangle triangular thing but it's the temple right there the father's temple and then the great 
something. Oh, the great mound is that thing right there in between our ribs. And close this up so the light doesn't shine in your glasses. Oh, okay. So the so the great mound is that thing right here. It's like right in the center of the ribs here. It's not this thing down here, but it's like right up here. Because um, they were talking about they came into the great mound beneath the temple, Father's temple. And that's all yeah. like center of the heart. And then the mound is like right beneath it and right above it. So around there. Um, the the something life comers. Oh, they're the, the things that create life. Life carriers. Yeah, the life carriers. Yeah, something the, the um, something for the life carriers is right down here, like right in the middle of the solar plexus, a little bit lower. Um, they said the Noah is over here in the left leg. The son of the architect was down in the left foot. And then the Amadon is up there on the left shoulder. And then Van is over on the right, like right here. Wow. So it's like right here, right here on those shoulders. Um, and they said that on and key were the creators of those were the creators of the is on and key. There's Anki. Anki is is the um, um, Anunnaki. Okay. Anunnaki. Okay. The the goddess. No, the sons were Anki. E N K I. Anki is the one that that did all the writing for the Sumerian tablets. On and Ki are A-N and Ki is what I heard. On and Ki are creators of the garden. Wow, that's the, um, not, that's the on and off. Adam and Eve went to live in the garden. Uh -huh. On and Ki are different dimensions than Adam and Eve. Um, Kano is a Anunnaki leader. They were like animals to him. Wow. Kano he, was stuck up, for the lack of a better word. Kano, Kano was an Anunnaki? He was a Kano is an Anunnaki leader. Wow. Um, they were like animals to him. Kano was stuck up for the lack of a better word. Hmm. Um, and they said, "Oh my God, the guides are drawing so many charts." Um, what else did they say? They were saying a whole bunch of stuff. Um, so they were showing that that there's like two different realities going on here, and and we're kind of susceptible to that because um, there's the created realms of the of these this on and key it's like a guy and a girl being that came together maybe that's what created the Anunnaki or whatever but um they like project down this created reality and it's like around the earth um earth is inside of it and then um like heaven and all that is like outside of it um the father wanted to put heaven inside of earth so injected like heaven into earth and that's the the um, the space within the garden that was not created by beings that were not God. So um, there's like God beings that came in and created things on this planet. And um, there's one like sanctuary, the Father's Temple. It was like the, the Father's Temple. It was like a, a sanctuary, a place within us. Because everything about the garden and everything, it's a place within us. And so when they talk about um, Adam and Eve wanting to stay in this garden, they're saying there's no time when it comes to Adam and Eve. It's like right now they're in the garden or not in the garden trying to hold a high frequency so that all of mankind, it's a part of their consciousness, can rise up. A lot of the, the de-evolutionizing of the human beings right now is in direct, uh, not cohort, um, direct contradiction or it's fighting against... Conflict. Yes, yes, conflict with what the Father and Christ consciousness wanted to bring into a planet 
and and hold that planet at a higher frequency. And the beings that are down in the lower frequencies don't know the higher frequency ones are there. And the higher frequency ones don't even know the lower beings are there. Just like if you're in your higher self, you don't really know that your lower self is down there causing mischief and is making you forget your keys so that you'll be late for your interview so that you'll self-sabotage yourself. It's like there's all these little pieces of us that are down in the, in the lower parts of us that are sabotaging us, that don't like us, that hate ourselves. And then the higher aspects of self, if we're in those, we don't really know that those are operating at any given time because we're not fully embodied through all the dimensions of ourselves. So Adam and Eve are the eighth and the and the the eighth and the fourth dimensional aspects of us. Um, Christ would be the ninth, seventh, and fifth dimensional aspects of us. And then down in the in like the fourth, this is where our feelings and emotions and, and all this like shame and 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 going and cheating on Adam and Eve, they, they all did that in the fourth dimension. So so by keeping man in the lower dimensional realms, man is completely unaware of the fact that they are creator beings and they can't create down the third dimension. It's just not possible because it's already been created for them. It's a fallen world, it's anger, it's it's jealousy, it's, it's, it's all the stuff that the media and, and all of them are trying to keep us in that so that we stay in a cage and we can't use our minds to create just as they communicated 50 feet apart from each other. We can communicate much farther than that when we're up in this other pieces of ourselves and it's all within our physical body it's not like going out into a, a piece of us that's way out there it's it's like within us in the father's temple we go in there and we can communicate with our loved ones we can communicate with our soul family members we can communicate with anyone really just using our mind and just as they said the adam and eve would go into a space within the 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 tree of life they would go into this space and they would they would emanate light and they would get different oscillating lights and frequencies and they would feed upon it this is their light body. This is their their esoteric or their not soul about it's kind of their soul body. But they would recharge with this, and it wasn't necessarily wanting to eat animals from the earth because then what happens if you're at a higher consciousness level and you eat another being, then you kind of become that being. So whatever you're putting in you, you become. So if you're drinking cow milk, now you're kind of a cow too, and just as a lot of some people won't get blood transfusions because they don't want to be that other person because they're taking on the consciousness of the other person and there's or organ donating donating things like that they don't want to give their organ to somebody because then they're going to be alive inside that other person if people are at a higher um, more expanded state of consciousness because we really do become what we think of and what we put into our holy bodies and <clears throat> what they're saying is that that they didn't feed the 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 children for the first year they didn't feed them anything other than the nuts and the things like that because for that first year you're god and you're here you're emanating this huge frequency it's like a sonic boom or a blast the babies just come in and go boom and they don't have an ego to stop their their frequency from just emanating throughout the planet and they said during the baby boom a bunch of high level souls came in and they came into boom, blast out a higher frequency level because the earth was dropping and dropping and dropping. They, another round of those souls, like the baby boomers, uh, came in more recently within the last 15 years. And also with the, when uh, with Mozart and, and um, all the artists and the music came in back in, what is that, after the dark ages, those same kind of souls came in to boost up the frequency of the planet. And what Adam and Eve's job was to do was to hold a space in the Father's temple for people to continue to tune into that and their consciousness to tune into that. When they fell, it's like a rock fell over the Father's temple and it no longer was here in us. It, 
it's now like in our eye. So it's like a rock blocking our eye. Like we can't see only one side. We can see the other side. We can't see until we can remove that rock that, that fell onto the father's temple and, and blocked us from being able to, to see through the eyes of Christ or God. Um, they're, they're saying there's so much here. There, there's so much here. They're, they're going on and on and on. They're saying the most important thing about Adam and Eve is to understand that every single person goes through what Adam and Eve went through from the time they're born. So you enter into the, the father's temple, just below the father's temple into the mound and you, you sit within this for the first year. And then just as Adam and Eve became shy or, or, you know, they, Oh, we're not wearing clothes. That's what children do around five or six years old. They realize, Oh wow, what am I doing? I, I need to put some clothes on. So as Adam and Eve evolved through their thing for the hundred and something years that we were speaking of, human beings do the same thing for that about, about that many years. But a lot of human beings die before that amount of time. But technically, a human being should be about 120 years. Yeah, it's 120 years. Yeah, 120 years, a human being should be alive. And then they just choose to go into their light body, and then their, their physical body will cease to exist because they, they have collected enough light, connected enough of the ether, connected enough of the Father's grace and love and mercy and, and divine will and all that. We, we will have absorbed all of the light that we needed to absorb while down here that we just pff, disappear to the people that are in the lower dimensions, but we're still there. We're still there, we just, people can't see us. Just like spirits and things like that, you can't see them. They're not necessarily here because they've evolved so much, it's because they're, they're hanging around behind, but guides and things like that, they're in their light body. And, and that's what ascension is, when the physical body just, the vibration raises up so high, it just disappears, like what Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated that. So human beings, we're set to be these 120 year experiences, absorb all this light, ascend into the higher dimensional realms, up into the original garden, and bring all the souls that had fallen down into the lower gardens back up into the garden, eventually all becoming this one being, this, this one being right here. So this being is, is, the, is the blueprint for um, humans, and this is the Adamic race, Adam. So, so, so uh, there's the, the, as man, we're, um, there's a Adon, or Adam, or Adam, Adam, we're man, and, or woman, and when we become human, that's God-man, that's when we've taken the, human means God, so God-man, human, human means we've taken the, the Adam, that has all this, the, the gardens in it and everything, and we brought in the consciousness that we truly are prior to riding that ser seraphic transport and dematerializing and coming down into this reality. And really, we're at the mercy of, of ourselves and the helpers that we have to kind of lead us back out of here and back into our true, like, more developed self that's pretty much, like, like asleep. What I found interesting was the land of Nod. What is that? That's east of Eden. Oh, I wrote something about that. East of Eden is the astral plane. Oh, it is? Yeah. East of Eden was the astral plane. I'm just curious if, um, I'm sure there's a lot of universe personalities in here right now, but I wonder if one of them is Salonia, who was the seraphim. Salonia is, dif I kept hearing Difer, di Diber, or and I looked up Diber, mm -hmm. and it means deceit, destruct, you see, um, well, Salonia was the voice of reason. Maybe the voice of reason, or maybe it was not. Let me see. Well, they said di diver, 
means, let's see. I mean, there's no way I could know this word. Di di well, the story, the story is being told by Salonia, mm -hmm. but she also speaks in the first person when she or he. Um, What's pestilence mean? In the sense of destroying a pestilence, murane, pestilence, plague. Pestilence is problems. Okay. So she came in with the problem. She came into the, well, I just heard, I just heard when you, the, that being, I just heard that that being, I, all I heard was diver, di, diver. And I looked it up as the Hebrew word for, for this, but the, the being came in when there's issues, basically. It's the, it's the being that's sent in down into this reality to communicate. That's what they're saying. Does that being still have access to us? Oh, it's right there. Here. It's spinning. It looks like a um, it looks like the thing that spins on Peter's head, but it's spinning this way. Well, keep in mind, Adam and Eve were—they <laughs> don't have any time up there. They don't die. Yeah. Uh, Adam and Eve were material sons and daughters for a hundred and fifty thousand years before mm -hmm. they came down to Earth as planetary uplifters. And all the—I don't know if you caught it or not—but the, the, all the material sons and daughters that were together on that that on the Jerison, which apparently is a planet that is where all the headquarters of, of the universe hang out. Um, all the material sons and daughters up there all volunteered to become Adam or Eve on, uh, on Earth. So I wonder what Eve means. First being or something like that, and then what? Adam means man. Eve, Eve versus Adam? Yeah, I think Adam means man. And then Eve must mean like first being or something like that. Um, I wrote something about that Jerisat or what? Jerisum. Jerisum. Jerisum feels like it's a place where people just witness from. They just watch and it feels like they're all looking. That's the place where I see um, Archon where, where they're looking through the, the telescopes uh -huh. down at their lives. And I see people that committed suicide up in that place. Or I see people that are completely off their life path. I see them up there. No, Jerusalem is above that. So the place where I see them is Archon. But Jerusalem, it's, it just feels like a place in which we witness this life from. And we put ourselves into, into beings down here. Those are like our, our master creator beings, huh? Where's Jerusalem? What did they say about that place? From Jerusalem? Yeah. I don't Oh, I'd have to go back further, feels further in the Rancho book to understand um, where Jerusalem is. It's in there. It's in there somewhere. I, it's just that you know. Jerusalem is where our master, where our master teachers reside. They sit upon, they sit upon a pillar of light, and that pillar of light is is our is our consciousness, our awareness. It's our essence. It's our personality. It's everything about us, and they send little like packets of information down to us through that so if we're connected with our light when we're connected with our 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 stream or our tree of life that's our tree of life it's like the the root that goes up and we all we're all basically a tree and and that tree is nurtured by by these beings up there at that place and and that place is 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 fed by another place and the transporting the seraphim transport things or the seraph uh, transport things they basically are way down there way at the very bottom and what we have to do is when we come into this world we have to go all the way down 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 to the bottom of creation like the zero point almost we get uncreated and then redistributed back into uh reality in in this world it's like time travel 
Is that the dematerialization they were talking about? The yeah. Adam and Eve were dematerialized mm -hmm. in seraphic transport mm -hmm. and then rematerialized on the earth. Let me see. So Adam is Gabriel. Well, Gabriel. Say Gabriel. No, Gabriel is a big being here. Gabriel can communicate as Gabriel, but Gabriel can also put pieces of himself into creation to be dematerialized and, and enter into people. Gabriel is like, God is like, Michael is like president. Gabriel is vice president. Gabriel feels like he owns the president. Gabriel is like either the, he's, big he's either Lucifer or he's like, he's someone that's, that's not rebelled, but he's, um, He's he's the head of the of the um, Adamic rebellion, where 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 beings were being like um, like uh, tortured and stuff like that down here, and he was like, "That's it. We're not going to let our creations be tortured. We're going to go down and save them." And he created this whole like rescue mission or something to come down and save the souls and the the consciousness in which he created. So he he created consciousness by by being a part of creation of a, of a bunch of um, consciousness, not souls, but consciousness. Uh, Christ would be more like the creation of the souls. So Gabriel's like the creation, creator of the, the consciousness, and then um, there's the souls. And then the spirit is more like created by, oh, created by Satan. But it's not bad. It's just creation. It's just in this universe, there's every time a being is born, they get taken to the bottom of creation. And then a, a spirit or the most high vibrational, like, like, like Satan was like their source and then source breaks off and, and, and that's in the center of the planet. So the same thing as source, but it's just a broken off piece of source. So it's a, it's, it's a limited piece of God. Um, but, but that spirit is the thing that, that draws us back into that because it feels so good to be our spirit. And that's the thing that, that lured, um, Eve and them to, to kind of be like, Oh, well maybe I want to live in duality because that's what our spirit lives in because our spirit doesn't know any better. It just loves to feel good and love life and all that stuff. And that comes from the, that comes from the earth. So it looks like Gabriel is trying to gather up people from, from falling into too much earth consciousness and bring them back. Um, he's not a bad guy. He's, he's trying to save the consciousness that he created. I wonder if he's the same Gabriel as in the book of Enoch is one of the watchers. watcher. Oh, he's a watcher. Yeah. Is the Michael who is a watcher. Is that also the Michael? The no. Mm -mm. It's a different it's Michael. Different Michael. Yeah. It's a because um, it's uh, Michael Gabriel um, Uriel and uh, Raphael. Yeah, yeah, Raphael and, and Uriel. Raphael's fallen. Raphael's fallen. Yeah, Raphael fell a long time ago, or fell a while ago, but Raphael was supposed to be a watcher. He's probably watching over the bad part of our earth right now. For all we know, he was he's, probably he's drooling over China. the he's drooling over the good part. No, he's living it up. Oh, yes? Yeah, I mean, they, when they fall, they come down because they want to live it up. They, oh. They're like, oh, I'm going to live it up. You know, they, they, they want to have a good time. They're sick of being like these goody two-shoes that are like, oh, oh we must follow God's will. They're, they're just like, it's like when kids hit teenage years and they're like, screw it. I'm not going to be a good kid anymore. I'm going to go out and party. Right. That's, it's like the, the archangels, the ones that fall are, are kind of like in like adolescent consciousness where they're just like, screw it. God will forgive me. It's all good. And then they just go create their own realities. And, and man does this too. I mean, you watch kids, they want to please their parents, please their parents. And then they hit teenage years and they're like, I know more than my parents and they don't understand anything about me. 
I'm going to go create my own reality and I'm going to do everything. And they, they just become little miniature versions of their parents, but they think they're nothing like their parents. And, and they, they go and do their own thing. But then eventually loop back around to, to soul consciousness where they, they go, oh, okay, okay, my parents did actually know something. And I, I'm not, I guess I'm not as smart as I thought I was because now I'm here. And then they, they become their individualized self and, and kind of merge all that together. And it's the same in spirituality. Um, our spirit and our soul and our consciousness and all that, they all kind of like separate and disperse throughout different realities. And then they all come back together around like age 30, 30 to 33-ish. Uh, where all of the pieces of ourselves kind of start to merge back together. And that's when we can become our whole full self and fully embody um, the, the Adamic race, fully embody like Eve, fully embody all the, the destruction and, and the falling only to rise back up and learn. And we just have to learn and understand that that we are in this this fallen reality because we've chosen to be in it, not because we've got sucked into it. Like church will say, you are born in sin, you are born evil, or you are born with, you know, whatever. And and that's not necessarily true because the first year were these brilliant, bright God beings. And it's really what we've chosen to be born into, how fast we're going to fall down into fear and fall from grace. You mentioned grace and mercy. And that's, that's the first fall and the rise back up the, when we fall from grace. That's the, oh, that's what they said. The first um, garden is here. The second garden after falling from grace is right here. And then the third garden where, where we are kind of right now, because we fell after 2019, we fell down into this third garden because Christ came. Christ is here. So the Christ consciousness is here and we still choose to turn away from Christ consciousness and go into anti-Christ consciousness. We fear, we, we look at other people as God. We look at the medical community as God, or we look at whomever, somebody on the media or, or listening to people outside of ourselves as, as, as true reason, kind of like Cano would come in and everyone would go, ooh, people look at, at people like that and go, ooh, they know so much, but really they're just giving their opinion. And so what they're saying is that when we can really fully begin to pull all of us back into us and fully give our will over to the divine will, that's when our life is going to feel right. And too many people have turned so far away from the divine will that they're just are choosing to not even be alive anymore. They're getting cancers, they're getting uh, diseases because their body is so far out of resonance with the ability to absorb the light from the, the tree of life that we are. Like, like they said, Adam and Eve absorbed light from these certain spaces from the father. We do that too when we sleep. We absorb light, we absorb the, the light matter, the God matter inside of us when our brain isn't there to like go, no, 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 no. We are human, we're not God, we're, we, we, we just operate on food and we eat animals and we eat this and we eat that and we put anything in our mouths, we don't even care. You know, that's, that's, we don't care what we put into our bodies. And so when we sleep, at least our spirit or our soul can be like, oh, oh God, good, the brain is asleep. Okay, let's go absorb light from, from here and there. But when we are so out of alignment with our soul, we can't even go there. We can't go to that place to absorb what we need to absorb. So um, uh, Jesus is saying, if you want to, you take your hands over your heart and you imagine the Christed heart in, in the space within your heart and imagine that golden Christed heart to go in almost like a cookie cutter. It's going to go in and just kind of go open up this central area within you. That's where the father's temple is and the father's energy, <clears throat> the universal energy that brings us the all it is, everything it is. Anything that we ever have needed, anything we've ever wanted, whether it's a love of a mother, a father, a friend, a brother, a sister, whatever, it's going to bring us that, that thing that we're, we're missing. Just ask the Christ consciousness, the Christ heart to go in, to fill us with that. And then it's going to open up like a little door. It's going to open up this space. It's a big space within us. It's like a void. And ask to enter into this space 
and allow for all the light that's in there. It's the brightest light you could ever imagine just to begin to like seep like, like liquid out of that into your veins, into your body, and just completely fill your, all of your veins, all of your body, your muscles, your tissue, your skin, everything with this bright, illuminated, liquid-like like substance. And this is the, this is the, the Father energy. So this is the, the Holy Spirit's matter. It's the Holy Spirit matter. And it's, it's going to bring you healing. It's going to get rid of disease before you even know it's there. It's going to get rid of anything because you're actually giving into the divine will and it's bringing you back into alignment with your divine will. And people may fall out of your life and things may fall away and you may go, God, why did I lose my job? This sucks. Well, maybe the person you're supposed to marry is at the job that you were supposed to take six months ago, but you're too much of a chicken to take a, to take a risk or you're too afraid to do this because you're not afraid of what your parents are going to say, but you're 50 and you care what your parents are saying or your, your, your friends or whatever. So if you, you're not taking that intuitive risk that you feel you need to do, you may be missing out on meeting somebody that you're supposed to be with or whatever and, and, or a child you're supposed to have. And that's your divine will maybe to have that child. You could be having the next president of the United States for all you know, but if you're not going to make the jump from one job to the next to meet the person, then, then you fall out of divine will. So by sitting in this space, this empty space, this void after you allow the Christ, the golden Christ heart to open up the doors to your space within you where the father dwells, then you can enter into that space and just sit and allow the, the, the it's, it's like, it looks like the, it's like an opalescent, like, like liquid, plasmic like substance, but it's really bright and it just goes throughout your whole body, fills your entire body until you're bright, until you're bright. And clothing does cover the skin because the clothes resonate at a different frequency, they oscillate differently, but we do emit light from us. And the light that we emit from us can heal others. The, the light that children emit from them, specifically through the throat and the mouth and through the eyes, the, the eyes take in the light and the mouth spits out the light. So when we mentioned the masks earlier, it was covering, covering the light. And many would say, how, how can a simple mask cover God's light? Well, it doesn't cover God. It covers the eminence or the, 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 the uh, what was it? The it's the um, illumination or the, the, you're talking about auras, you know, like the clothing cover is kind of the, the, it's like an illumination. It's kind of like the light kind of shimmering off. Adam and Eve had the light that shimmered off of them. We all have that. We all have like a trail that follows behind us. And some people with more light, you see more light around them. People, women that are pregnant, they glow because they have two, two fully evolved human beings light within them, feeding them. So they look like they glow. So people that are very connected with God, their eyes glow, their face glows. They, they, and people that don't have any light just want to be near that and just absorb it all. By blocking people's light during that time, it was, it was keeping people from healing themselves, keeping themselves and keeping, keeping people a certain amount of feet away from each other. It's keeping people from healing each other because the soul is six feet out from us. So it's, it's just a separation of beings. But now, now that everyone can see this, now that everybody knows, they know how powerful we are because we were worked against ourselves by simple little rules. And, and we can see now that because of those things, Somebody's threatened by our power. Somebody's threatened by our power, by our children's power, by the power that we have just within the light within us, just the, the caliber of light that we have within us, just the knowledge that we have within us, the, the wisdom that we have within us. Just allow yourself to be a clear channel for that and don't allow other things to block that. I won't go into that, but just don't allow other things like fear, anger, uh, getting mad at other people for not having their same beliefs. Just, it doesn't matter. Just be light. 
be light and allow the light to emanate from you. And it sounds really cheesy and it sounds really lame. That's me saying that. I'm like, that sounds cheesy. I said, it's not cheesy. It's simple. You're light. And the more light that you breathe in, the more light that you emanate, the more your light, your life will light up, the more it will shed light on, on the shadows of your life and burn away things that shouldn't be there and people that shouldn't be there. And it will allow you to feel free and you'll be able to breathe again because people can't breathe when they don't have the light within them. They just feel like they're collapsing on themselves. So the, the being that, that so, so not, so, so, so not, the, the one that you asked about, the one that's spinning up there, uh, says, says let, let us be, let them be, let yourself be a me. Let yourself be that you that you are when you are asleep, when you are awake, when you are upset, when you are tired, when you are awake, you are a constant state of who you are. And that you, that voice that you hear within your head, that is not your voice, that is God's voice because you are God. So the voice that you hear within your head when you sit and you, and you, and you think, and you're thinking, hmm, I'm just talking to myself, I guess. That is that first voice that you hear is the voice of God speaking to you. And that is the frequency that I come in on. That's the frequency that I speak to you through. And that's through the occiput down into the throat. And you hear it up through the occiput and the, these, um, the occipital, occipital, occipital lobe or something, occipital, something, occipital lobe or something like that. And you hear this as a frequency, not as a sound but you hear my voice and that's that's us as the the seraphim the uh, the anunnaki know how to communicate through there but they enter they the it comes through as gut feeling not up here but the higher orders of the angelic beings that communicate between your god self and yourself um in reality we translate that so that you can understand what you're hearing in your own head so become aware of the different frequencies in your head and you'll begin to hear god's voice your voice god's voice in, in reality, this is that being. In reality, you're all just one being that said, I'm bored. I want to go experience something that's not just me. I'm going to create a me to forget that I'm me. And then that me is going to think that it's me and go and see itself, a reflection of itself, and begin to create with itself. And in that, I will sit and watch as I create and create and create and create and create and create and all that creation is in each of you each of you have that all of that within you your dna may call for different things and call for different personality traits and call for different different traits and things within your human body because you've chosen this line of, of human beings to be born into this triggers you to remember certain things or not remember certain things but a fully activated human being will remember everything remember the story of creation and Adam and Eve, this, this story that we have just spoken of tonight, this is one of the stories of creation in a 286 billion year span through this planetary ascension process, whereby the planet was a rock and then became a planet and then had creation on it and is evolving up into God's status. The planet is entering into its Christ consciousness. The planet evolves just as the human beings evolve on it. And if the human beings can't evolve on it, the human beings will die off and other beings will come in that can resonate at the frequency of the planet. But the planet is evolving, it's growing, and so you must grow along with it. The garden will always be the same. The garden will always be there within your heart. The Father's temple will always be there for you to absorb the light you need and all of the resources that you need in order to forgive yourself for anything that you've done are there. 
So make sure to use them. We bless each and every one of you. And we bid you adieu for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Cool. Great. Okay. That was a long one today. Um, just say so long. I, I didn't even acknowledge people that were yeah, moving on. Yeah, you can. Don, it sounds beautiful, not cheesy. Thank you. Uh, luminescence. I like that word. Luminescence. Don't the Minions have a company called Lum... Lum they, they're, at the beginning of the Minions movie, they go, Luminescence! Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, thanks, guys, for being here. Yeah, this is kind of long. Oh, uh, Justin. I miss Justin. Look, Justin was here, guys. Wow. Good night, Justin. The seven days. Um, here, I'll let you say hello. Raphael was supposedly the healing angel on the green ray, right? Yes. No, Raphael, I think, was red. But no, I think he is the green ray. Could he be. He appeared red to me. Okay, folks. Uh, Joe Morris, uh, Marissa Morris just finished up. Uh, it was a long one today. Um, again, Sunday, I like to stick strictly with the Bible. And so we get off into other directions during the week, uh, mostly focusing in on the Urantia book and sometimes our own, uh, our own books. But... Sunday I like to dedicate to the Bible. So we're going to get into the Bible tomorrow and we're going to be, um, there are going to be passages <coughs> from the Bible that will coordinate with what our study was this last week uh, on the travels of Jesus. So we're definitely going to get into the healing of the, of the blind man uh, right there. That was, that was Jesus' own plan. He didn't even ask for the will of the Father to do it. He was just bound and determined to do it and do it in front of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin to tell them they're all a bunch of bozos. Mm -hmm. So we're going to get into that tomorrow, maybe a little bit more. And it'll be fun to have Marissa around here uh, channeling something from the Bible. <laughs> so uh, we'll see how that goes. So again, it was a long one today. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming in. What's the... I had Poochie's in the background. Look at Poochie! <laughs> and hey, and Poochie. Poochie had gas again today. I'll no, have to tell Jeff. Yeah. She he said she's never passed gas. Yeah, I know. Gas. Yeah, right. <laughs> Every living thing when you, when passes you love gas. Something, I guess you want to think they smell like roses. It's just a, it's a natural thing. You just don't want to do it around other people. Yeah. That's all. Okay. Joe Morris, Answers Heaven Speaks. Marissa Morris, uh, Answers Bye, Heaven Speaks. And uh, God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. We will. So you guys uh, have a great Saturday night. We'll catch you on a Sunday. All right. Okay. Take care, Bye. everybody. Bye.